Hello and you're very welcome to Ross FM Sport and now we have Sport Pulse. Hello and you're very welcome to this week's Sport Pulse with myself, Aidan Raftery and um, I hope you you will stay tuned and you will enjoy everything that we have coming up today and this week we have all the uh, the latest uh, interviews that I've done throughout the week and also we have some interviews from the past so if you're a huge sports fan this is the this is the show for you and um, so thanks very much and also we are looking for a sport we are looking for a sponsor for the show so if you're interested in uh, sponsoring sport pulse every friday from 10 o'clock in the morning until one o'clock in the afternoon and um, why not why not contact us here on 089-430-4496 for further information so next up we have the first interview
How are you keeping it? Hello, everyone. How are you doing? And you're very welcome to this week's uh, Gaelic Gaelic football memories. And myself, this week, myself and Tommy will be discussing the 97 All Ireland Senior Football Final between Mayo and Kerry. And uh, like all previous fixtures between these two counties, um, you know that there was plenty of action, and uh, it, it was a great game. And uh, <laughs> It was, uh, you know, there was a huge degree of rivalry in this game as well, wasn't there? There was indeed. And I suppose, really, it was a historic occasion for Kerry on the day. They bridged an 11-year gap, in fairness, to win an All-Ireland in 97. And they had one prior to that in 86. And Stephen Stack, who played that day, was a sub, won a medal in 86. So I think it was a great achievement by Kerry that time. And... Do you know, it was it was a game that will be remembered. I suppose really there was there was a, a thing about the captaincy that time where um, Mike Hassett was captain that year and he got injured, I think, after the Munster final and he handed the captaincy off to his brother Liam. And I think that time there was only there was there was twenty-four there was twenty-four name players on the on the All Ireland final that day, but there was only twenty-one players got medals and I think that the, the two boys uh, stepped on for a while after because Mike didn't get a medal. That's it. And of course, there, there is a tradition in Kerry with regards to the um, with regards to the captaincy of the Kerry County football team, as in it's usually the county champions get to now the county champions of uh, Kerry get to nominate the, the, um, the captain for the county team for that year, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's like whoever wins the it's like whoever wins the the county championship the year before. Like East Kerry won it last year, so they nominated Paul Murphy. East Kerry won it the year before, so they nominated David Clifford. The Hassets were playing for Long Rangers that time. They won the county championship in uh, '96, so they nominated Mike. But Mike Mike played up to the Munster final, and he couldn't play for the Cavan game in the semi final. He got injured, and he was actually he was actually named. One is a 24, but I think there was only 21 players that got medals that day. So he handed the captaincy over to his brother, Liam. And um, there was a bit of controversy after where two stepped down for a while, you know? That's it. And I think that's not that, that's not really, really fair because uh, I think once, once you tug out on the day or whatever, or even throughout the championship, um, you know, if whatever way to do it. But I think... Once you've togged out a few times throughout the championship, you should be entitled to um, you should be entitled to a medal. I mean, especially if there's 24 named on the day, 24 people should get nominated or should get medals. But I think if you have a full panel, the full panel should get it, not just the not just the not just the 26 or 25 or whatever that togs out on the day. But uh, yeah, this was this was a great performance by both teams and. Um, I suppose both teams had a had a great uh, had a, a good road to the kind of final uh, or to the All Ireland final, and uh, you know Kerry were uh, I think Kerry were hotly tipped for this game anyway, weren't they? They were, and I mean along the way, I suppose really that year it'll be remembered like I suppose after they won Linster that year, three seventeen to one fifteen. I think it was their first time since eighty two winning. Kerry beat Clare in the Munster final, and I think I think that um. Mayo beat Sligo in the con- in, in the Connacht final that year, and Cavan beat Derry, and I think Clare beat Cock was their first time that year since 1941. So, and that year Cavan won the Ulster title in, in, in 97. It was their first time since they won the Ulster title since 1969. So it was a it was a big gap, you know. Really, there was a, a, a lot of um, 
things happened that year. But I suppose really to be remembered for the Mars Fitzgerald final, I suppose, what can you say? Like Mars was a genius of a footballer. He scored nine points on yeah, that he game. Was, you know? um, he, he was an exceptional, very yeah, good he, footballer. Yeah, and of course, uh, I think he'd be uh, he'd be hugely remembered for his fantastic free taking. But uh, we we all remember that day down in down in Thurles with that um, uh, sideline kick that went over the bar to to draw the game. I think it was against Dublin. That was a uh, everyone. That's when he that's when he obtained uh, legendary status. With, with was with that kick because you know it was an impossible kick and. Uh, it's kind of a job. I found the Ireland final as well. It's a fantastic skill to be able to do, isn't it? It is indeed, but I suppose Morris will remember for that, that that day against Dublin, Blown Tullis. But I suppose really, he was, the, he was the backbone of the Kerry team, I suppose, really in 97. I mean, that day that, that, that Kerry... They, they, they defeated they defeated me. I think it was thirteen points to one seven. Marvel scored nine points that day. Or my own Aston Stacks man, uh, Palier got two points. Um, I think Darrow Shea got a point for centre field, and John Crowley came on. I think as a sub that day he got a point. And I suppose look, Mayo had a very good side that time as well. You know, in fairness, like I mean, they had a good side. Like and you know, I suppose you look, they just came up a bit short. You know, and I suppose really did no looking finds. Like I mean, Marvel Sheridan got three points that day. Connor McDonald got one one, I think James Horn got two points and um Kit Martin got a point. But I suppose really it was the final, I suppose, really, that, that would be remembered here on Kerry of the why Kerry team went down from eighty six to ninety seven without winning all Ireland final. It was an eleven year gap and people were getting frustrated, you know, and they were saying, Oh, why haven't Kerry won an all Ireland before they gone back to Spar and all that, you know. I think it was a it was a, a huge transition in transition that Kerry went through there in the 90s, like, and I suppose really, if you look at the records in the 90s, Kerry only won one all Ireland in the 90s, and I suppose it's the only time in the history of the year where, where they won one all Ireland in, 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 in that period. And I suppose in the 80s, they won a couple in the 70s, they won a couple in the 60s, in the 50s, in the 40s, in the 30s, and in the 20s. But the 90s wouldn't have been a better year for Kerry Tall. They only won one all Ireland in, in the 90s, so it wasn't a great record to be truthful, Joe. That's it, and of course uh, Mayo that day as well. They would have had uh, the majority of that, uh, the starting fifteen from the '96 All Ireland final and the replay, uh, playing that day as well, wouldn't they? They had John. I mean, they, they had David Nestor, they had Lee McHale, who was a fantastic footballer. They had Kevin McDonald, they had John Casey, they had Colin McMinnam, they had the great Morris Sheridan, they had Hanley, they had Fallon, they had Noel Keneally, they had James Nallen. They had uh, Flanagan, they had Costello, they had uh, Kenneth Mortimer, Pat Holmes and Burke. So, I mean, they had a very good side. They had a, they had a, they had a very experienced side, Mary, and they had a side that was very well used to, of Crow Park. And I mean, they were in the final, you know, the year before. And in fairness, they were a couple of points up and it was a drawn game as well, you know. And they did have experience in Crow Park. But in fairness, I always said, I said, if Mayo had won in nine, if, if Mayo... Had won the All Ireland in '96, I think they would have went on and won a couple of All Ireland. So they were the most unlucky team I've seen in Pro Park, and still that unlook, that unlook follows on today as well, you know. That's it, and I suppose really the standout player over those couple of years was um, was Kier McDonald, an absolutely gifted footballer, and uh, um, he actually appeared for his club um, across my line at Dilly Rovers in an All Ireland uh, club final as well, and. You know, he really was an exceptional player. He could, uh, you know, he, he could kick with left or right and he can score some stunning points as well, as he did that day. 
He did, yeah. He was a, he was a very good player. I'm fairness. And you know how he, I mean that 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 Mayo team will be will be when you look back at it, they were a very good Mayo side. Like they contested a couple of all Ireland finals that period. And did some solid players from one to fifteen. And as you say about that player, he was a fantastic player. Look, and this was a very good Kerry team as well. Like if you look there, you had Declan O'Keefe, you had Killian Bones. You'd Barry O'Shea from Strand Road. You'd Stephen Stacker won a medal in '86. You'd the great Seamus Minehead. You'd Liam Flaherty. You would Eamon Green. You'd Darrow Shenson to field with my, with my clubmate uh, William Kirby. You'd another clubmate, my number ten pal Aid. You'd Liam Hassett, the captain. You'd Dennis Dwyer. You'd Billy O'Shea who broke his leg that day. You'd Darrow Darrow Canada who went down to captain Kerry in 2004. And you're the great Morris Fitzgerald. So this was a very good Kerry side as well, you know, to win an all Ireland final. And this was a very good Mayo side as well that just came up shot that day. Yeah, that's it. And of course, the, the, that, that was a fantastic uh, Kerry team. And, you know, there, there was still, the majority of that team still was uh, was around for the coming years. But they, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonder that after that win, that, they, that Kerry didn't go on and win, win a couple of more. Uh, no, they didn't. They didn't. It, they didn't really kick on. Like, I mean, God, we won in 98. Meek won in 99. We came back and we won in 2000. Then we had to wait another three or four years before we won another Ireland, you know? So, in fairness, like, you know, we didn't really kick on, you know? We didn't win two in a row, you know? And, of course, the, the, in Munster as well, the Kerry rivalry, the rivalry between Kerry and Cork was still going strong. And, uh, you know, Cork would, were still at their best. Uh, at that stage, before they went downhill, obviously in recent years, but that Cork team, as, as we discussed on previous podcasts, uh, you know they're back. Yeah, uh, they're 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 coming back to their best again. But that that was a huge rivalry in um, in Munster, and I suppose really in Munster football, it was nearly you know you could say, yeah, there's it's just it's just uh, Cork and Cork and Kerry really uh, when when it came to football more so than uh, than in the hurling. Oh, why, Jan? In fairness, Cock. I mean, I mean, if you look at Cock, if you look at Cock, like in fairness, like they were beaten in the final in '93, you know. And I suppose really, you know, they they had a very, very good side, and they, they, you know, they came up, you know, they, they and you know, so and they were beaten in the final in '99. They came up with great battles against Meath, you know. But I mean, if you look at if you look at Cock's record in all Ireland finals, they haven't got a great record in the football finals, but they have a great record in Munster. But I always said that if the back door was there in the 70s, that Cock would have won a lot more all Ireland. So it's a very good size back in the 70s, as well, you know? That's it. And of course, um, you know, it was it was kind of good because, um, you know, to see carried away, um, they're, they're, uh, they have a huge tradition in the championship and I suppose the league, but... Uh, you know, everyone always remembers uh, remembers championship games more so than league games, and that's that's no disrespect to to the league. And of course, you know, uh, Mayo Mayo have um, have had some good years in the Connacht in the, in the championship as well. And I suppose, really, for a, for a team as we we touched on in previous weeks, for a team that's supposed to be in transition, they did well uh, last season, but since then. As we said, you know, there's a, they've had a good lot of retirements from inter-county football this season. So they'll have a, there's a good few players that won't be available this season. So, um, but they, you know, they're kind of like Kerry in, in the fact that they have, um, they usually have a, they're starting to have a good conveyor belt of players coming through from minor and under 21 coming into the seniors as well. So that'll stand to them as, as well. But I suppose really look, look at, looking at uh, Kerry panels, um, you know, for the coming years, I, I mean, you know, the, in the maiden, 
you know, 20, you know, from 2014 or 2015 up, up until recently, you know, the Kerry have been winning minor all minor all Irelands to beat the band. So, uh, you know, they, 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 they have no, they won't be found wanting for uh, quality players coming through. And I suppose the, the, the most notable product of that would have, would have been David Clifford himself. Oh, would have been, yeah. But I think people here in Kerry at the moment are getting a bit agitated, like, because it's a long, long time since we won an all Ireland final, like, since 2014. It's too long for people here in Kerry, like, we're used to winning all Ireland all final maybe once every three years or once every four years. Now the gap seems to be getting bigger and bigger and Dublin seems to be getting stronger and stronger. I mean, Dublin are going for seven in a row this year. Like, I mean, who's going to stop them? Like, I mean, it's going to take a, a huge performance from a team that's going to stop Dublin. Kerry, on the other hand, if a lot of young players coming through, you know, they might be going through a small bit of transition as well. You know, a few players uh, have stepped aside, you know, but I mean, Look, any day you have David Clifford on your side, you know, he's inside in the forward line there, I suppose, really. Kerry have a, have a very good forward, you know, I suppose, really. Just give them enough of ball, really, I suppose, really. And if we can, you know, if we can hold our pace at centre field and find maybe another one or two defenders and someone with a bit of steel, maybe we, we, we'd be hard to beat, you know. But, I mean, we have to break our duck first. I think, really, I think our chance came there two years ago when Dublin were down, and, man, you know, really, we were in front of them, going into extra time, and I think we should have beaten that day, look. Take nothing away from Dublin. They're a very good side. They came around the replay and they beat Kerry. Look, they came out last year and they beat Mayo. Look, going forward, Kerry and Dublin, I suppose, really, they're the two big guns in the football. But look, come here. Connor can be trying, Mayo will be trying to prove a point Galway. So will Ross Common. And also, you'll have Cavan, I suppose, really. You'll have Donegal. You'll have Tyrone, I suppose, other counties there as well. So it's all, it's all really to look forward to, really, in the next couple of years. I suppose, really, Dublin can't really, I suppose, really, not, not less fair when I suppose, really, they. Their 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 dock will have to be broken someday. That's it. And since the last uh, since the last time we chatted as well, uh, there has been that uh, controversy as well, where uh, the, it came out that Dublin, uh, you know, the later nine Dublin players and uh, one of the coaches was, um, you know, they, they, they were holding a training session at seven o'clock in the morning, and uh, you know that was found found out. Now, as as we know, Desi Farrell. Um, you know, has been banned for or suspended for uh, twelve weeks or whatever. But um, uh, they're still investigating the players and all that and things like that. But what what do you think will be the um, you know, I suppose preparation wise? I know there's still the league. Uh, they were kind of saying about there, there's going to be no national league, but that's going ahead now. And of course, I suppose for preparation for the championship, uh, I suppose the league is essential from from that point of view, especially. Considering that there has been no there's been no um, no football intercounty football since since December at the All Ireland final, well, but um, you know that, that, that these are little things. Even though this is a talented Dublin squad, the, these kind of things can interfere can interrupt the um, the flow. Especially now with uh, Desi Farrell being gone for twelve weeks. Well, I suppose although if you look if you look at the start of the year, Gaelic football lost its elite status, right? And we're under the guidelines for the first few months that. That we want in elite sport. Now that we're going to be left back, temporary reaction will resume for anti-counter players on April the 19th. I suppose, look, we're coming back under guidelines. And I suppose these players have broke the guidelines and the managers have broke the guidelines. And I suppose, look, they're breaking the rules, breaking the laws of the land. And I suppose there'll be disciplinary actions that will take place. And I suppose, look, it'll give people some talk about the dubs shouldn't have done this, the dubs shouldn't have done that. But I suppose, really, look along the way, I suppose, really, as you're saying, look, maybe if the league takes part, I suppose. 
tis, tis, tis games and and more more experience and stuff like that. You know, I suppose the more games players get and stuff like that. But I suppose really the All Ireland final will be a knockout series this year. And I, I don't think the juvenile training is resuming until the twenty sixth of April. But it'll be an interesting couple of weeks to to come. But I suppose look. In the next couple of weeks, I suppose this will die down about the players look uh, breaking the rules and stuff like that. And I suppose look, the GA will have to come out and they'll have to make a more statement and probably discipline a few of the players and stuff like that. But I suppose at the end of the day, look, look, they're only human. Look, like anyone else, look, and they make mistakes. But I suppose really, the only thing they can do is learn from it, and move on from it. That's it. But I suppose really, if you look at it, like you know, other county, other county teams and uh, county panels and. Coaches will be looking for, and county boards indeed will be looking at this. Um, and uh, the the GA have to be very careful how they handle yeah. this. Even though, even though to the GA maybe Dublin are kind of like a money machine, money making machine for the GA, but they have to be very careful on this because you know if the, if the GA are seen to let Dublin away too lightly, then what will happen is the other county teams. Will be behind the door, and they they'll kind of, they could start secretly doing training because they'll say, well, you know, because they got away with it, we should get away with it, and you know, because, it, yeah, you you know, it's um, it wouldn't look good on it wouldn't look good on the J if they if they let. No, I'm not saying that they should be severely punished or anything, but you know, it, it has to be. You know, the crime has to be, or the 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 punishment has to be done has to be seen to fit the crime and. Uh, Really, when you look at it, all the other counties supposedly haven't been um, training, you know, doing doing uh, early morning training sessions. So why should Dublin be getting, you know, if, if you were to be like that well, about it, why should well, they get away with it? They know? say, there's no saying if you, do, if you do the crime, you do the time, look, they should be disciplined. They should, they, they, I mean, you break the COVID rules of the land. I mean, in fairness, I can't walk more than five kilometres. You can't enter some people's uh, houses. And I mean, you have a gathering of people out there training their look, I think. It's up to the GA to, uh, and uh, to make the right decision, look, and to hand out the right disciplinary things. You know, I suppose really, look, they should, I suppose, look, they will probably make an exam. And I suppose this this, this, this will be a learning process going forward. And this, should, this shouldn't happen among the GA players or, or, or the managers. They should have no part in this, be truthful to. And I think any manager or any players that take part in this, I think really they should come into for disciplinary action. That's it. And go back to the nineteen ninety six, the nineteen ninety seven All Ireland Senior Football Final, and the two teams. Um, every week we normally go through the, the both teams that get to the final, and uh, we, we assess the we, you know, kind of go through the All Stars. What what, what yeah. players from each team has been picked so in, the in that year in ninety seven, Declan O'Keefe and Ratmore got an All Stars goalkeeper. The player you're talking about there, while the water who deserved an All Star that year, Kenneth Matnamore. Fantastic player. David Dalton called from Kildare got one at number three. Cahal Daly from Offaly got one at number four. Seamus Mine and the Pony got one for Kerry at number five. Dean Ryan from Kildare got one at number six. Eamon Breen for Kerry got one at number seven. Pat Fallon from Mayo got one at number eight. Niall Buckley from Kildare got one at number nine. Pal Aid got one at number ten. Trevor Giles got one at eleven. Dermot McHale for, for Cabin got one at twelve. Joe Bradley got one at thirteen. Uh, Brendan Riley for me got one at 14 and Morris Fitzgerald got one for Kerry at 15. So Kerry got five All-Stars that year. Kildare got three, Mayo got two, me got two, Offaly, Cavan and Derry got an All-Star each. That's it. And looking at that, do you think that uh, there, that all those players are there on merit or would you have uh, 
Would you have made any changes to that All-Star well, 15? Well, I don't agree with the All-Stars, if you ask me straight out. I don't agree with the All-Stars. I think it's a bad system. I know it's something at the end of the day of it's rewarding 15 players. But, I mean, how can you pick 15 players out of 32 counties at the end of the year and give them one for performance throughout every position? I think it's, I don't know, I wouldn't be in favour of it. Look, but it's good to see the players being rewarded and stuff like that. But I don't know, because I think when you pick 15, you're leaving out another 15 being true for you, no matter what team you pick. That's it. So, w- w- are there any players on that 15 that you would have disagreed with that we say we're unlucky yeah. to lose out? I suppose, really, I suppose, really, I suppose, if you look at it, I suppose, Morris Sheridan, I suppose, who had a fantastic year the year before, you know, he, he might have come into contention for one, and maybe, you know, um, James Nallen probably as well, you know, but, I mean, in fairness, look, we could speculate on a few players as well, but I don't know, Aiden, I, I, I don't agree with the All-Stars, but it's nice to see the, you know, the, the only the thing I like about the All-Stars, it's nice to see the counties who didn't get an All-Ireland medal, like Kildare and Mayo and meeting them to get um, All-Stars that year. I, I'd be happy enough to see players that, that didn't get a medal that year to get an All-Star, you know? Do you think maybe that it, it would be a lot fairer maybe if they did have the All-Stars, but the All-Star team was picked by uh, by yeah. players. You know, like, uh, you know, that the players vote for their, did, their 15. I, and I'd agree with you, yeah. Their... I think the players should vote for it. Been true for you. I, I think that the clubs should have a vote for it or the players should have a vote for it. I think anyone that plays the all Ireland series, they should have a vote to vote to see if it's a uh, thing, you know? Because... That's it. Well, listen, thanks very much, Tommy, for uh, doing the... This week's uh, Gaelic football memories, J memories, and uh, we look forward. Thank to you very, very much, Jaden. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks very much, and that's uh, t- that's Tommy Dowling, our J analyst. Hello, how you doing? And you're welcome to this week's um, four four two sports. We are uh, interviewing another one of four four two sports. Management's players, and this week we're talking to Javi Bravo, um, a, goal, a goalkeeper. And he was the last time we were speaking to him, he was looking for a new team, so we're just getting an update. Hello, Javi, how are you? Are you well? Hello, Ivan, good morning. Everything okay? How are you? Not too bad, no, not too bad. Hopefully, you had a good Easter, um, where you are, and uh, yeah, so how, how have you been keeping since we we're speaking last? Uh, you were the last time I was talking to you. You were you were busy doing training, and you were still looking for uh, you were still looking for a club. How how are you keeping now? Yes, hopefully uh, Easter had been had been quite good, um, and yeah, that's uh, what we talked about uh, a few months ago. Maybe that I was I was a little bit busy training by my by myself uh, with a keeper coach. Also, also in in the gym, um, and I started to play here in in Malaga, my my city, in a non-professional club. Uh, they are on the seventh division, I I think more or less. They are non-professional. They they don't pay. It's uh, just a, a club of of friends, mostly. Um, and it was because the the coach uh, was my coach when I was youth, 
and and he didn't know that I was without without any club and he get in contact with me and and he asked if if I wanted to to play for for start uh, for starting a game uh, to to get confidence minutes again just for for the next season and and I accepted I I spoke with with Joe he thought he it was a a good idea as well um and we decided that uh just uh, forget again a minute uh, fill the fill the pitch and and for being ready just for for the season 2022 that's it because um i suppose it's uh, it is a very good it is a very good thing to do because um you know with that with the team you're you're with now it's it's better to be doing something like that and it's it's very good for the uh, for I suppose match sharpness as well, so that when you do come to get another club, you'll be because it, it is kind of different to um, it's different to just training the whole time. It's good to get some matches under your belt as well, and I suppose your match sharpness and everything else will uh, will fall into place. And that means when when it comes to go getting another club, then you'll be uh, you'll be raring to go. Absolutely agree. Absolutely. It's it's completely different. Uh, just being training uh, with a keeper coach or or in the gym, than than being training with with a team, uh, having real shoots, having a real real happening in in like like matches, and and that was what what I needed uh, as well. And hopefully, unfortunately, um, we are. I am having. I'm having. It's not la, as as the level uh, as I wanted or I deserve, maybe. But but just for for starting again, as as I said previous uh, previously, uh, forgetting uh, forgetting minutes, confidence, and just for for being ready. For, for nowadays that in in one month a month and a half uh, maybe the the market is is open again so I have to be ready for for everything that that could come that's it and I suppose since since you started with that with, with that club have you noticed that like in games that you've been kind of rusty due to not having practice or um, I suppose really since you've started with them you, you've found a huge benefits to them and uh, you know being with them and having game time and that but could you tell us just a little bit about uh, you touched on it slightly there about the uh, the coach but could you tell us a bit more about the coach and about the players and how you how you're getting on and I suppose the whole atmosphere with the club yes for sure that club is is from from here from Malaga it's uh, it's called Tiro Pichon uh, it's um, it's a club mostly from from guys from from the from all from all ages till till youth, um, and they they decided to to have a, a senior team this year. Uh, the club, uh, the manager, the coach is I have it as as I told you when I was youth some years ago now. <laughs> Um, 
and he called me he by by friends we have in common etc he he called me and and asked me why why I was without him etc etc i i exposed him my my situation and and he was looking also for for a keeper because he he only had had one um and yes i i decided to to accept um and i'm so happy uh, i i played two two matches uh, i i had uh, two clean sheets as well and i'm very good very good feeling very good um uh how do i say um my actions in in the in the match uh had been very good uh and i feel also that that i didn't i didn't stop without playing that that i think is is the most important that's it and uh, you know that's that's very good and that's that's what you need as well and i suppose from a 442 sports management uh, side of things how, how are you getting on with uh, with joe have have you been in touch with joe much as regards to what he's doing at the moment, I know, like due to the lockdown and things like that, they're not dealing as much kind of uh, with, with clubs outside of England or whatever. But what's your what's your thoughts? Um, because I suppose it, it's kind of restricted as regards business with clubs and things like that. But uh, how are you interacted with Joe and uh, what has he been? What have you been saying since we're talking to you last? Well, the thing the thing is that uh, I. I don't spoke with Joe till till some maybe two months ago, maybe more or less, when when I exposed the the opportunity to to play here when when this coach called me, uh, because I know he also it's been so busy. He he called he told me that that he was uh, speaking with with clubs, uh, but this situation it's. It's been a little bit hard because the clubs they they don't know that what is going to happen if COVID is going to reappear and they are going to to stop uh, leagues etc. Uh, he also transmit me that there are some clubs that are interested in me, but we don't we don't uh, close anything yet so as I said as I always said sorry uh, I believe so much in in 442 I believe in in Joe and and I hope that in these uh, months that that come that are going to come sorry uh, we can close uh, something soon I don't mind if it's in in UK, if it's in Ireland, if it's in Kosovo, or if it's in in whatever. I just want to to get a, a professional club, a professional contract again, and and enjoy my my profession. That's it, because I think that's that, that's one thing uh, Joe is very good at as well. And, uh, of course, um, they've also expanded their services now from today, I believe. I was talking to him there last week, and he's doing a, a scouting service as well for clubs. And 
you know, for different situations. So that that's another new uh, great service that they can provide. But I suppose really, from a club point of view, um, not not so much because of the clubs, but uh, I suppose with COVID, some leagues are are able to, uh, you know, are playing and other leagues aren't. And I suppose that's that's what makes it difficult for the clubs because. Um, you know, it, it's uh, the clubs are waiting to, to kind of get back and start it as well. And um, I suppose that the way it is across uh, around Europe and, of course, around the world is some some countries are, are lifting their restrictions and others are kind of are staying, uh, play, staying in place, which means that uh, games can't be played, I suppose, uh, be it at an amateur or professional level. But uh, what's your thoughts on, on that on that side of things? Yes, uh, I think uh, I think the same the same as you. Uh, also, I know that that um, for for going to play to another country um, and if the clubs uh, don't know me or whatever, maybe uh, it could make them for for one. Um, that wanted to to get more information of, of me or or maybe they are not going to be 100% uh, confident or get of getting a a player from Spain maybe if i have to move from Ireland or or England or whatever that's uh, where joe appear and as my agent and as a professional as as he is so that's why why i always said uh, that i believe so much in him on him um and i think he could he could make a a very good job as joe as as emma the the two components of of 442 and and that's that's my feeling that's what what I what I want and what I wish. That's it, and I suppose really looking at uh, the game at the, at Spain in Spain at all levels. I suppose um, the way that La Liga is going at the moment, of course, <laughs> this week now Liverpool <laughs> are playing Real Madrid in the in the UEFA Champions League um, quarter final and and. Uh, you know, it's um. What are your thoughts on Real Madrid? Um, they're not kind of the same team as they were, but they're still uh, they're still a good quality team, aren't they? Yes, for sure, for sure. Uh, now Real Madrid, it's it's very good. They they are having a a very good dynamic. Uh, yesterday uh, they also win. Uh, yesterday I think. Um, and that's. It's go- It's going to be a a, a hard match, um, and I think it, we could see a a very good game. Also, as as uh, I like Liverpool, uh, we can say the the lem uh, you'll never walk alone, isn't it? <laughs> but 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 yeah, I think I think uh, we are going to see a a very good match in in Champions League. That's it, and I suppose on the other side of it as well, you have Barcelona, who are we? We we all know their tradition in the Champions League and in Europe in general, but uh, they just haven't been firing on all cylinders in Europe this year. Sure, they haven't. Yes, 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 yes. the The problem is that 
that Barcelona is not having a, a very good uh, season this year, so many changes uh, and uh, many players with that, that they are important inside the team, they are having so many injuries. Also, the, the change of, of the president in the club, but, but well, I think that every, every club has, has to get a, a transition. Uh, we, we all see the, the best of Barcelona when, when Guardiola was there as, as manager. Now we are seeing that uh, version in, in Manchester City. Um, and I hope that for for the for the for the good of of the Spanish football that 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 transition uh, finish finish soon, and we could we could see also Barcelona playing well again. But also Barcelona, also also the the rest of the team. I like uh, now what is happening because. Uh, it seems like the like like all the clubs are like in the in the same level, and we don't see that difference that Barcelona uh, gave us in the pre- in the last years ago. That's it, because I suppose really as well, like um, you know, the, I suppose the key player for them for so many years. Up, up until this year and all that, and he always is because he, he's usually he's a very talented player, is Messi. And uh, I don't think we've seen um, the very best of him like we, we like we've seen him in previous ga- in previous seasons. Um, is that down? I wonder, is that down to maybe the um, you know, the is he not getting the quality ball, or you know, it's, it's probably just something that's going on in the background or. You know, kind of things that we don't know about what's that's going on uh, going on in the background um, because he's he's not in the same form as he usually is. Sure, he's not. Yes, for sure. I think that that when when a whole club uh, for for playing well needs just a player, is that uh, things are not going well because uh, Messi. We all know that he's the best player of the world, but he could have a, a bad day or a bad match. And if he don't have that day, the team uh, has to, to be a team and, and make, uh, make known and, and make seem for, for all the people we, we see the matches that if Messi uh, is not good, the rest, the rest of the team is going to be okay. Also, if we if we added as well that that they are having uh, problems uh, extra sportive, uh, everything makes a a global. So so I think is is what is happening to to Barcelona, and and it's a. Benefiting to Atlético de Madrid, for example, or or also Madrid or Sevilla, that they are on the on the high high of the table. That's it. Well, listen, thanks very much for uh, doing the podcast with us again this week, and uh, best best of luck with the the new team, and hopefully Joe will have a 
a new team for you very soon. I know the the lockdown is kind of isn't helping that, but hopefully the uh, the lockdown restrictions in Spain or whatever and around Europe will be will be kind of easier and uh, it'll make it easier to get you a new club and uh, we'll be we'll be in contact anyway and uh, we'll be able to uh, get an update on on how you're progressing. Thank you so much, Aidan, for for being in, in contact with me again for for making this podcast and and yeah, I hope uh, very soon uh, we can we can meet and we can we can also speak we about my my new club and and we all we all be happy. No problem. Okay, thanks very much, Javi. And uh, thank you so much, Aidan. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? This and uh, yes, this week, uh, this weekend is the Italian Grand Prix, and uh, promises to be uh, exciting as always. Oh, promises to be exciting as always is right because there's been an awful lot going on in the last couple of weeks, but mainly with um, Red Bull, believe it or not, there seems to be a hell of a lot going on there. Um, as you remember, there was a, a, a claimed poll there by Lewis Hamilton in the last race uh, against Max Verstappen, but it was only like four-tenths of a second in Bahrain. But um, Max Verstappen is actually saying that they had a problem with the differential. Now, that's a little bit technical. What a differential is, is it's basically housed within the transaxle. Now, I'm not quite sure what a transaxle is, but we won't go there. <laughs> and what it yeah, basically... We won't get too technical. <laughs> absolutely. And, and what it basically does is with the rear wheels... Once a car goes around the corner, uh, the outer wheel will rotate more than the inner wheel. And it allows that. But this can also be used to help the car get around corners faster in some cases. And um, basically, that wasn't working on Max's car. Now, considering how fast he was, would it have made much of a difference? Well, we're going to see this weekend, of course, in the Italian Grand Prix, what's going on. But there is something else with Red Bull. And speaking of all things technical, as they say, there is an aerodynamic yeah. rule tweak in 2021, which seems to have hurt people with a low-rake design philosophy like uh, Mercedes. Now, what is a low-rake design philosophy, you could say to yourself? Well, it's basically the angle that the car is positioned on the track. So the back of the car is lifted higher for a high-rake, and the back of the car is lower for a low-rake. Now, the two things with this is, if you've low rake, that's great for aerodynamics. It really is. But Adrian Newey, of course, of Red Bull, Adrian Newey is well known in Formula One circles and one of the best. But he always favours um, a high angle of rake for attack of the car, making the car very, very aggressive. And um, it, it does slightly, I suppose, decrease or increase under underbody downforce but it's something new he reckons is going to make the car a bit more a bit better for getting around corners a bit better for tracking down the people in front of you only time will tell um but it seems red bull haven't been resting on their laurels as they say and uh, yeah still with red bull <laughs> there is an awful lot happening there uh, and basically the honda engine there was massive shock there uh, that Honda announced uh, last October that uh, the 2021 season would be their last in Formula One following a change in company objectives. But I mean, based on the performance of the opening Grand Prix, 
uh, with Max Verstappen like uh, cutting it down the line for uh, the win, as they say. I wonder will Honda kind of scratch their heads and say, well, there could be something going on here, you know, because Honda do have this kind of love-hate relationship with, with Formula One, I suppose, in that they, they leave and then they come back and then they leave and then they come back, which doesn't always work with an engine. You kind of have to keep tweaking the engine the whole time to stay ahead of yourself. But look, they've got a fantastic out engine out there now. You never know. They might just turn it around and think, oh, well, this is not a bad idea and see what happens. We can only hope, can't we? Well, that's it. That's it. And uh, I suppose uh, moving on to the um, moving on to the Italian Grand Prix itself. And uh, I suppose a lot of people would say that maybe it's it's one of those kind of more challenging um, tracks. And of course, I suppose with all the, the, the COVID restrictions, as well, it doesn't kind of it kind of doesn't make it easier on drivers. But uh, I just seen there in, in the headlines that um, Silverstone had uh, has uh, signed a petition or whatever, put in a letter to the to the British government to try and uh, allow allow um, crowds back into uh, to stadiums, you know, for for the Grand Prix. That would make a that that would uh, you know bring it back to normal again. But what are your thoughts on all that? I I I, I you know it depends on when Silverstone is. I mean I mean let's face it ourselves. Uh, the government have kind of alluded to the fact that we're going to try and have eighty percent of the population with its first injection in this country by July, um or by June. I can't remember which. And then the second jab would be eighty percent the following month, obviously. And that, that would be a great thing. Um, it'd be a move forwards in the right direction, which we kind of need. And the UK is, well, it's well ahead of Ireland. or well over 50% of the population inoculated. That wouldn't be hard. No, well, that's very true. <laughs> but they're well over. Uh, I have a friend, actually, and her daughter's gone back to the UK because she's going to get inoculated when she goes back and she's in her 20s. Um, which is incredible yeah. when you think about it. Um, you know, myself, you know, yourself and myself now wouldn't be as young as that, but we wouldn't be that old. But uh, we'd be well down on the list. But it, it's kind of hard to see. I know 80% and everyone's going, yay, things are back to normal. But that does mean 20% haven't got their injections. And who are the 20%? If they're young people in school and they're, they're well, healthy and everything like that, that that's brilliant. But I suppose at the same time, you know, what, what what does it mean for the drivers themselves? Because would they not? What sort of category, like as professional sports people, would they? Where where do they stand? Where when it comes to getting inoculated, you know, getting the vaccine and all that as, mm. as professional? I suppose you could, you could put them into the. Uh, into the category of elite sports people, couldn't you? You could to a certain extent, but you know, you you do wonder about it. It's like Hamilton last year got uh, COVID nineteen, and he was only out for a week. You know, he was out for no time at all. Really, uh, he missed one race just out of sheer bad luck. Really, that when it was diagnosed, but I mean, you know, there was no time at all until he was much better. Because I, I suppose with Formula One, now the engineers and people like that will be different. But I mean, with the drivers, these guys are super fit. I don't think people honestly understand. You know, you Jensen Button there, there was a documentary on about him a couple of weeks ago. And he's still taking part in triathlons just for fun, <laughs> you know. And a yeah. triathlon is not to be sneezed at. Um, but no, it's just for fun. As you well know. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it's not, it, it's exceptionally difficult. And yet, you know, he's still doing it. And, and that's how, I, I think it was Michael Schumacher really brought that into Formula One. I mean, you see the guy and he's in the middle of the desert driving around the Formula One car at high speed for an hour and a half and he gets out of the car and there's a single bead of sweat on his forehead. And I think because of that, everyone's brought that in. Because, it, you know, if you're able for it, it's easier, isn't it? It's easier to concentrate. Yeah. If you're getting tired or hot or bothered, or it's not as it's not as easy as that. And I mean, you know, with some of the tracks like Monaco, it's been likened to flying a helicopter in your bathroom, um, you know, and stuff like that. If you're not on the ball every single lap, you could be in a wall. So um, I don't know. I'm not as worried about the Formula One drivers. The only people I'd be worried about really, I have to admit, would be the staff. You know, the... The guys moving the, the equipment, the guys, the engineers that are there doing stuff, the guys making the teas and coffees for them. You know, these people are important. The guys, the guys like us that are reporting it. Oh, the guys like, oh, we should get it straight. We should have it already, really, shouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There are obviously people that are prioritised, but you know what I mean? I just threw that in and jest. But uh, no, well, it, it like, is a, a serious thing for people, for everyone. Like, I mean, it's... Uh, but I suppose each government is doing it a certain way as to, you know, every, every government is doing their own kind of thing as to what they, based on the advice that they're getting. But that's an interesting subplot to, to this weekend with, for the Italian Grand Prix, as in, um, because we, we don't know, you know, where it's at, uh, where things are at in Italy for... Um, you know the the are they still in lockdown or were they out of it? I know they they've locked down again or, you know that well, that that's, yeah. uh, that has a lot to do with you know the logistics of uh, you know bringing cars, the drivers, as oh, you say, the staff. You know the whole mm. thing going into particular countries that are in lockdown or kind of, you, you know whatever because each country is different. It it, it might add a bit to. Um, make things that, that bit more difficult for when it comes to doing the, the Grand Prix in Italy. Well, I'm sure a, a, a Ferrari are delighted because it's only down the road. <laughs> well, that's it. But, but um, they, still yeah, to, they still have to abide by the, by the, by the rules, I suppose. Well, I suppose to do, and and to be honest with you, as Ferrari has done, I'm sure as the rest of them have done, they've literally locked everybody into the factory. Um, well, Ferrari yeah. is particularly easy because the vast majority of their factory is actually underground, believe it or not. And um, yeah. and so it's quite easy for them guys. But I mean, you know, you're talking about businesses that are worth hundreds of millions. Uh, you know, finance isn't an issue. Uh, not with teams like that, anyhow. With the lesser teams, yes. But, I mean, not with the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull. Finance isn't an issue. They they, they make hundreds yeah. of millions in profit per year. So, I mean, <laughs> you only have to look at the places, I suppose, the, the testing centres and that to figure that one out. But it is, it is a worry in a certain extent. But the only thing I'd say that would console you maybe a bit is the, is the fact that Lewis Hamilton got COVID and none of the engineers, team or anybody else got it in Mercedes, which I was kind of surprised at because I would have taught you to be in close proximity with a lot of people. Um, you know, when you're you're getting into that car, someone has to hand you a steering wheel because you can't get into the car with a steering wheel in place and things like that. You know, as for crowds, I know what the push is all about. I mean, I've been to... Um, the Italian Grand Prix myself, um, just outside of Milan, 
And it's absolutely incredible. But like, you know, for two days, uh, the Saturday and the Sunday, um, you were looking at 160 euros just to be there. And that was stands. Yeah. Okay, it's cheaper if you're if, if you're on the field or whatever, but you're not going to see anything other than the blur going by. But, yeah. um, you know, that's 160 euros. Maybe what, a quarter of a million people. There's a lot of money um, being missed with the crowds. And I think Silverstone is just financial. I honestly think they should calm down a bit. I, I, I'm not saying they shouldn't let some people in, but maybe we say, for example, only let people in the stands and then, you know, nobody has someone sitting beside them. You know, that sort of thing. At yeah. least you're getting some revenue and some people in. Okay, there'd be extra policing because of that too, obviously. You know, people strolling around the place because they, they are they are very large areas. But no, I, I think it's a mistake to let them all back in again willy-nilly, as they say. That's it, and uh, but I suppose like like we always uh, say, we discuss the the track, uh, the track itself, and uh, you know what what driver does it suit best? I suppose what team does it suit best, and uh, you know things that things like that because uh, and who who is the most likely to come out up on out on top as well? Yeah, it is a very interesting track now, Imola. It's, it's a great little track. The Italians know how to make tracks, I have to admit. It only has one DRS zone, which, which doesn't bother me so much. I mean, you know now where you have to overtake, and, and that's where you've got to be, and that's it. Um, and, and it's a good long straight. It's, it's, it, it, there's a slight kink in it, but it's a straight for a Formula One car, it really is. And um, it, it is a good little track. I, I think definitely between turns 19 and 2, where the DRS zone is, that's going to be hard. That's going to be fought quite well because the DRS zone doesn't start on a corner. Normally, they start on like a 90 degree bend or a loop or something like that. DRS is in. But in this case, no, there is a 90 degree bend before it, but you have to get to the next part of the track, which is it's like a flat again it's, it's like a straight line to a formula one car um before drs kicks in so it, yeah. it gives them that little bit of pace just to get on top of a guy or it gives them that bit of pace to stick on the old hybrid engine and, and give it that little bit of electric kick to get away from the guy i suppose too but that's gonna make it nice and interesting i i, I hate a race for his procession <laughs> yeah. i prefer something interesting myself now Who's going to do what this weekend is curious. Uh, I mean, you have the likes of Ferrari. Um, they're actually very happy with their last race, in, even though, you know, they were nowhere near the front. But they were delighted that, like, they qualified 1.9 seconds off pole, which is huge in Formula One terms. But, I mean, compared to last year, oh, my God, um, they couldn't do, <laughs> do worse than last year, let's face it. But um, they're definitely, it being in Italy, they're going to be a bit of a push there. And Fernando Alonso is not to be kicked out either. Um, he's he's a strange sort of guy, Fernando. And, and it's been mentioned even by his teammate that the guy literally 24-7 uh, thinks of nothing but Formula One. And Pedro De La Rosa just, he can't fathom this at all. And he just thinks Formula One. And I mean, they're on a push. They're on a big push to try and get somewhere. And I wouldn't discredit Alonso, you know. and. Yeah. Well, Aston Martin are kind of out because I've noticed recently that they have, um, well, a couple of teams have actually said, you know, oh, we're looking forward to next year. Well, that's not a good sign. I don't like it when people start saying that, you know, you're in for the year. You know, don't be here if you if you can, if you're going to be looking to the following year. I don't think you should be here. But I think yeah. it's definitely going to be a dice between 
Mercedes and Red Bull. Now, there is a kink in race Mercedes um, armour. And I'll tell you exactly what it is. There's two things. Um, there's been a bit of media recently uh, 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 about um, Lewis Hamilton. And um, basically, there was a very throwaway remark. Uh, of course, everybody saw it that he was threatened with suspension for Mercedes more than once. Uh, and especially Ooh. when he was playing City Buggers between himself and Rosberg in 2016. Now, that news coming to the fore is going to knock your confidence a wee bit. And, and I think the fact now as well, there has been another one. Um, the, the Basically, the, the CEO, uh, Zach Brown, has been looking at a few things and he reckons that Mercedes lineup in 2022 could change. And he believes that they're thinking of Max Verstappen and George Russell, which, I mean, geez, that'd be, that'd be incredible. That'd be absolutely an incredible pairing, really. I mean, you'd have the experience in youth of Max, who's a dog with a bone, and, uh, and George as well. It would be incredible. So I think that could easily knock Hamilton's confidence a wee bit and make him think of other things. And I think he's worried about Max. I'm putting Max Verstappen for the win. Uh, I think it suits his car. And I think Max is going to fight fight like he's never fought before. I know Max. (laughs) He's he's not not the easiest guy to get on with from what I hear, but he is straight and he is honest and he is direct with people. But by God, get him in a Formula 1 car and he's going to kill you. I'm putting Max Verstappen in. I'm putting him for number yeah. one. <laughs> but I suppose really looking at qualifying as well, it's going to be very interesting. How do you think that will go? And uh, again, I, I definitely think it's going to be it's going to be either Red Bull or, or Mercedes. I, I don't think I wouldn't put much dead on who's in pole on this track. Um, it, it is a quick track. Italian tracks tend to be, um, and it is a very quick track. So I wouldn't put any pass on who's on the front row or the second row of the grid. Anybody on the first or second row could win the race. I don't know if Max is going to get pole or not. Um, I think it'll be bloody close if he doesn't. Uh, I think it'll be very close if he doesn't. Uh, But it will definitely be a a, a Mercedes uh, Red Bull duel to the front. Ferrari are going to have their they're going to have their hands full. They're going to want the third row of the grid. I don't think they're going to look at first or second. I think it's un- it's unrealistic. It's not that they don't have the driver. Um, you know, it's just, I think the car isn't good enough yet. It's progressing. Yeah. But it's going to take, you know, you, you, you don't just turn these cars up a bit and then the following race, they're brilliant. It, it takes time because there's just so much goes into them. Um, I, I don't know. In a way, Mercedes, I suppose, with their uh, low angle of rake would suit a high-speed track. But I don't know. I think Max has that Schumacher quality. I think he can make a wheelie bin fast if he tries. <laughs> if yeah. he tries. So I, I, I reckon if you're looking for a flutter, I, I'm not a betting man myself, I have to admit. But I think if you're looking for a flutter, stick it on Max Verstappen to win and Hamilton second. I think it'll be fairly safe. And Paul Egan third. Paul Egan third. No, well, no, Paul's not racing this the this weekend. He says it wouldn't be fair. You know, he he just disturb. <laughs> oh yeah, he he can't be at every race, like as he yeah, said well, himself. But it would just disturb the apple cart him in the middle of it the whole time. So he's just yeah. decided, no, 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 no. You know, and yeah, who could blame him really? I suppose. Well, this you know? is it, you know. You know. Have you ever seen him in a wheelie bin? No, no, I well, no, he wouldn't. Have, uh, you know, he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't be. Interested. He'd be more kind of. Uh, for the upper class wheelie bins now, you know the the real horsepower. Oh, 
No, Jesus, when I when I when I when I was leaving the same place he was working in there, I I, I have to admit he was eyeing up a wheelie bin on our night out. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and it was a green one too. You see, British oh, well, racing green. See, it's it's all about it's all it's all about the advertising the sponsors as well, you know. Oh well, that's very true. But British British racing green, yes, nice and classic. That's that's our Paul. That is our Paul. <laughs> so I suppose bringing us on to the um, bringing us on to the car of the week. Well, we haven't done car of the week in a while, and um, um, I, I I'm picking something called totally and completely and utterly bonkers. I'm picking the Alfa Romeo Stelvio. And this is a hard one now. I do speak some pidgin Italian, but it looks like quadruple floggio, or you can pick that one. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what it is. But you know, can a sports SUV such as Alfa Romeo? I mean, can that be considered a true driver's car? Because let's face it, you know, a lot of people say BMW is a driver's car. That's only because they haven't driven an Alfa Romeo. They're just absolutely incredible. And I mean. There is plenty about this car to make you smile. It's a beautiful looking thing. You're you're going to get heads turned the second you go down the road. I I, I guarantee you with this. And it's available basically in petrol. End of story. Um, They've they've only one engine. uh, They've only one type of trim. And uh, the the miles per gallon, well, we won't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) And it it, it comes with with, um, five doors, a three-year warranty. There's no mileage cap on it. Um, And and a steering wheel. And a steering wheel, unlike BMW, you have to pay extra. Uh, (laughs) But we won't go there, you know. It's an optional extra. It is. But I suppose this, this particular SUV has been... I, I, I've been looking at it through the years and it, it is kind of it's it's almost like a well sorted performance saloon car the way they've, they've thrown at us. Okay, top of the range Alfa Romeo, you ain't going to beat that in, in a Stelvio, but that said, it does look rather interesting, I have to admit. I mean, you could nearly call it a hot SUV, like you have your hot has- hatchbacks, as to say, because it's got a, a, a it basically has a, a 503 brake horsepower, 2.9 litre twin turbo petrol V6 engine. This thing is going to spit fire as it goes down the road. They're saying not to 100 in 3.8 seconds. Now, an SUV. I'd be curious. Of course, I haven't tried one, but I'd be curious if you go that fast, what the corners would be <laughs> would be like. Yeah. Because as we know, SUVs tend to be a wee bit on the top heavy side. But it does have a top speed of, uh, you can calculate the difference yourself because I don't, I, I, I don't know what miles per hour is the kilometers these days. But yeah. they've given it miles per hour of 176. Oh my God, geez, this thing is a scalded cat. Is all I would say. Now, along nicely there. Now. Absolutely, it's going to compare against things like uh, the Mercedes AMG, uh, the Audi Q SQ5, uh, and the Porsche Macan Turbo. But out of all those cars, it looks nicer. Definitely looks nicer. I can guarantee you, it's better to drive than any of those. And um, it's the usual Alfa Romeo, big, huge, powerful engine. It's actually fast on its feet for acceleration, which I'm surprised at. But the one thing I always loved about Alfa Romeos, they go around corners like they're on rails. You just don't have to slow down. They yes. just bang around the corner every single time. Now, it's going to be interested. It's going to be very interested to see what happens with this. But it, it, it's definitely very, it, every Alfa Romeo is driver orientated. Even if you buy 
the cheapest of the cheap. They're very driver orientated, more so than, uh, you know, the claims of BMW and people who like it, you know. And I mean, the reliability issues at this stage are long gone. I mean, at this stage, they are owned by Fiat and Fiat are one of the most reliable brands for more than 10 years at this stage on the road. You're talking about competing with, uh, with, with the likes of supposed Toyota's reliability, which isn't actually as good as everyone thinks it is. Yeah. Um, and Hyundai's reliability, which isn't as good as everyone thinks it is. And this thing is going to be right up there. Now, the thing is, what? It's going to target price, I reckon, about an eye-watering 90000 perhaps. I, I'm sure you could haggle a bit, but I would say if you can afford it, throw away the Mercedes and then I don't think you'll regret buying this. <laughs> you, could, you could always lease it. Instead of buying just, it, you could always lease it. You know, pay so much a week or so much a month. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't like to be leasing it either. <laughs> but I could definitely see Paul Egan strolling down the road one now shortly, you know. Uh, playing the divine comedy and uh, smoking a cigarette on a long stick. I could see that. Yeah. Uh, I really could see that, you know. Well, <laughs> but there you go. Well, it, well, well, my opinion is if you can afford it, yeah, forget the rest of them. You just, the, the credibility of driving an Alfa Romeo down the street compared look, to an Audi or Mercedes. Yeah, you're in. <laughs> it, it looks nice outside the house, and yeah, huh? Oh, it looks nice outside, inside, all around side. <laughs> uh, actually, Jeremy Clarkson once called Alfa Romeo automotive porn. I am telling you, you can't get higher praise than that. I take one. If anyone wants to buy me one, so I can test drive it. Yeah, there you go. There you go, folks. Now, if if you want to sponsor a, a drive, uh, the the car, give give um. Give uh, Michael the loan of the car there so he can test drive it. He would gladly take you up on the offer. So, listen, thanks very much, Michael. Exactly. Uh, Thanks very much, Michael, for doing that. And we look forward to talking about Formula One again next week. No problems at all, Aidan. Take care. Thanks very much. And that was Michael O'Grady, our uh, Formula One analyst. Hello. um, Hello. You're welcome to this week's. Um, nutritious, the nutritious uh, podcast. How are you t- this week? Hi, Aiden. I'm good, thanks. Um, how are you doing? You you did very well with the walking. I I saw the, um, the hundred miles in a month. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. I completed that. That's the autism assistance dogs Ireland, and uh, next oh. month I'm doing the Bernardos. Uh, 30, 30, 30 miles in a month in uh, April for Bernardos. So keep keeping it up anyway. <laughs> I, must, uh, I must give you a contribution, but um, our, we're going to talk about hay fever today and uh, um, just supporting the immune system. But um, but you don't suffer from hay fever yourself, do you? I don't know personally, but uh, it, it's actually quite a common condition uh, in Ireland. There's uh, you know, especially in the summer when the when the pollen levels are high, and of course, yeah, yeah. kind of. Uh, Another condition, well, it's it's slightly slightly different. You know, migraines as well are are uh, kind of very debilitating as well. But hay fever is uh, hay fever is the main one at summer during the summer, or kind of from this time. I suppose this time onwards, I suppose it, really. It, it, or, it, it, start, know, yeah, once the weather starts to get warmer, it kind of hits people around April and um, early spring when you know grass pollens are at their peak and. Um, Quite a lot of people suffer from hay fever, and um, it affects about between ten and thirty percent of the population. 
so um, it, it, it is quite a, a, an uncomfortable condition, but there's lots of things you can do to ease the symptoms and indeed support your immune system, which we're all very keen to do at the moment um, uh, and ongoing. Um, but um, yeah, uh, the, the one thing that is a bit of a concern about hay fever is that it's a sign that your immune system is struggling a bit. So it isn't something that you want to just struggle on with and suffer in silence. Um, you do want to do something about it. And, you know, the symptoms, you've got the sneezing, you've got the itchy eyes, you've got the coughing, the sinus pressure, sore throat, feeling run down. So th th there are similar symptoms there to, to COVID, but um, most people get hay fever, they get it every year. So just, um, but there's lots of things you can do. So we'll have a, we'll have a chat about them, Aidan. That's right, yeah. But there's also kind of another link if you if uh, it can be, I suppose, exacerbated if you're mm -hmm. uh, someone like myself that has asthma. Now I don't normally suffer from hay fever, but if you suffer from it, hay fever and you have asthma, it's it's, it's twice the trouble. But I suppose the double. Um, we we can cover the different. Yeah, we we can cover the different. Uh, I suppose the different types of treatment are things that you can get to help with that. Yeah, we see most people go straight to the GP and they'll get an antihistamine, but there's lots of natural antihistamines that you can take. And you being an asthma sufferer, um, very important for you to be optimizing your vitamin D levels in your um, in your blood. Vitamin D is brilliant to help reduce um, asthma. And indeed it's a natural, really powerful natural antihistamine. And um, your vitamin D should be on everybody's radar at the moment because it's very, um, very good at supporting the immune system and helping protect against complications of COVID. Now, not all vitamin Ds are the same. In Eden, in the Magic Spoon, we love farming or D pearls. And the reason for that is that um, they have a really high IU. The one that we would recommend is the 75 UG 3000 IU. And um, they are in tiny little pearls, the cold-pressed olive oil. And that's important because vitamin D is fat soluble. So you need to take vitamin D in an oil. And um, yeah, around 3000 IU a day would be recommended um, for the average uh, adult. And um, yeah, vitamin D will help calm down inflammation in the body. It'll help um, calm down the, um, the, the symptoms, the coughing, sneezing, the runny eyes, um, but it's important to take it consistently. Like same thing about supplements and that, people just don't take them um, consistently. So consistency is the key. And the other thing that um, you being an asthma sufferer, my brother has adult asthma and he, um, he supplements vitamin D and vitamin C as well. It's brilliant to support the immune system. And um, it's a powerful antiviral. It's a natural antihistamine. And um, if you combine it with selenium, like um, selenium, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, they're all brilliant for your immune system. Um, but yeah, vitamin C, good. The, the vitamin D, vitamin C, I'll be taking about three grams a day throughout the day to help with um, alleviate hay fever symptoms. And you spread it out basically because vitamin C won't stay in the body for, you know, any length of time. If you take a gram of vitamin C in the AM, it can be gone by lunchtime. So the protocol to help support and prevent um, hay fever symptoms would be to take your 
3,000 IU of D-perls in the morning. Your gram of vitamin C then as well, a gram in, in the afternoon, early afternoon, and a gram in the evening. Um, and uh, you yourself with your asthma, are you, um, are you managing that okay at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't need the, the inhaler as much. It's just more like, you know, if I get flu or symptoms, and unfortunately with, with uh, hay fever, it's not like with a cold or a flu, you can't get a, a vaccine against it if it happens. That's just it. It's just a matter of going to the GP before it gets too serious or it gets too full on, you know, because as I said, the longer you leave it to go to the GP or get treatment, the, you know, the, the more of a hold it gets on you as well. Yeah, well, the other thing that you can do that is a really good, um, it's a really good hint to help um, protect against hay fever is um, source your natural beekeepers in the area. If you start taking a teaspoon of raw honey um, from your local beekeeper now, you are it's really potent, very powerful, um, anti-inflammatory, anti-viral, antihistamine, and that's going to help inoculate you against. Um, the local pollen in your area. So it's a really good tip for people. You can always say to them, get friendly with your local beekeeper or go into your all your health stores will have good raw honey. Um, just make sure it's from a local supplier and raw honey is a natural microbial. And again, that's a really clever thing to do. And the other thing I would say to people coming into my clinic, the magic spoon is, um, you mix raw honey with some apple cider vinegar, like a, a tablespoon or so, and you dilute it in warm water. And you take that every morning. That's a great natural decongestant. And it's also going to um, fight bacteria, fungi, and um, viruses. And it's going to help um, cleanse and heal um, the mucous membranes. Because with hay fever, basically, it's where your mucous membranes become inflamed and... Um, it's known as allergic rhinitis as well and it's very uncomfortable but again instead of going for you know the pharmaceutical drugs which sometimes are necessary I would go down the natural route first and foremost so get your vitamin d into your vitamin c the other thing you can take would be your omega-3 um now are you a fish eater Aiden? yeah I like I like to have a bit of fish I'm not maybe not as much as I should be eating, but I suppose really it's it's something I can start dressing now, start maybe getting a bit more fish in, into my yeah. diet. But I suppose, you see, with the time of year now that it is as well, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people will start, will be starting to mow the lawn. Of course, we all know what that can cause, you know, the smell in the air and all that and the pollen and that. And also, like, you know, once, once it gets into the summer, then the far farmers will be doing the hay, hence the name hay fever, I suppose. But yeah. Will you start the what, sorry? That's when it'll be at its peak then around that time, then you know, when the farmers start doing the doing the hay and that. Now is the time to just gather your arsenal of um hay fever support and that um again you can add in your omega threes, which um you obviously get from your oily fish like salmon and mackerel, but you know, there's amazing how many people say they don't eat an awful lot of fish I'm glad you do but um again um omega-3s are really important because they're anti-inflammatory um things like krill oil um you know if you're vegetarian you can go for the forage oil and the flaxseed um the other thing that's very um handy you were saying people like mowing the lawn 
get a little bit of Vaseline and just rub it around the nostrils or even a little bit of Vicks because that's going to trap pollen. Um, and that's a, handy that's, a, that's a handy hint that I would say to people. And the other thing is that um, when you get into the house, um, just take off your shoes and um, consider having something like a saline plus machine because they are brilliant for cleansing the air and that would help you with your asthma as well Aiden if you're if you're yeah. um, comfortable you just put them into the bedroom get them on an hour or two before you go to bed and they cleanse and purify the air or you know even put something like a bit of eucalyptus oil into a diffuser will do the same so there's lots of different things people can do but um there's no need to suffer unnecessarily and um I would always say to people coming into me in the magic spoon, if you're looking at their diet and if somebody has like a dairy intolerance or a gluten or wheat intolerance, that can make them more predisposed to developing hay fever because their immune systems are already under, um, under par. So I would do a bit of intolerance testing with them. And um, if anybody is prone to getting hay fever, I would be strongly recommending that they cut down on things like dairy if it's mucus forming and meat as well. And, you know, just up your, your, your good fruit and veg and your whole foods and, you know, cut back in the refined and processed foods as well. You know, there is something that um, is called an, an anti-allergy diet. Yeah, that's very good. And like, I suppose really there's different kind of, I suppose pe people are more prone to prone to hay fever than others, and of course there's different severities. Some kind of have worse reactions than others as well, to, as well to it. But I suppose from the the point of view of people that go to you in your clinic, um, you know, mm -hmm. what do you find from the people that go to your clinic? Well, again, I'd be looking at what they're eating, and then I would be giving them some support. Um, you know. Doing things like um, having some fresh pineapple in the morning is a good idea as well, because pineapple contains bromelain, and that is a natural antihistamine and anti-inflammatory. Again, getting any of um, you know, the berries, the oranges, um, bell peppers, things like that that have a high antioxidant content, I would be ramping that up in their diet as well. I would be looking at you know reducing the dairy, reducing the gluten, because again, they can aggravate. Um, allergic reactions so there's a bit of leaky gut going on there which is normally the case when people have um, a strong allergic reaction this time of year I would be uh, looking at ways of healing that and be suggesting you know um, taking a good probiotic as well because 80% of our immune systems are in our gut and again a lot of people's gut flora is out of whack so you know again there's lots of good probiotics out there. So it's about finding the one that's going to suit them in particular. And uh, yeah, just cutting back on the sugar, cutting back on the alcohol and the coffee. Um, and, you know, if people are exercising outdoors, go out in the morning um, when the pollen count is low or go out early evening as well when the pollen count is low. And um, you know, again, you just want to support yourself with your vitamin D, very important, and vitamin C. There's another good um, supplement that is a good combo with that as well, and that would be your quercetin. Um, quercetin is a natural bioflavonoid, and um, 
again, if you combine that with like your vitamin C and your vitamin D, you're giving yourself extra support. Um, but yeah, um, we love the farming or deep pearls. They do very good omega-3 as well, which has a good um, EPA to DHA ratio and it's anti-inflammatory. So we would be recommending that. And, um, you know, again, just drink water because a lot of people are dehydrated and then your body can end up producing more histamine. So, and that can give you even stronger hay fever symptoms. And Irish people are great at drinking the teas, but tea is a, is a diuretic, so it's actually going to dehydrate you. So I'd be saying drink at least eight glasses of water a day, and um, that's gonna help detox your body and clear the nasal passages as well. That's it. And I suppose another thing, you know, the way nowadays, I think more and more people are kind of into their, into their spicy food, I suppose, like, you know, chicken curries mm -hmm. and vindaloos mm -hmm. and all that. So I suppose from, from that point of view, hay fever sufferers, can they continue to take them or would you advise against them or do, does, does it actually help uh, with, with the hay fever to get rid of it? Really good question, because actually some spices are very beneficial. The likes of turmeric, um, the active ingredient is curcumin. That is a brilliant anti-inflammatory. Um, a lot of spices have a high antioxidant content as well. So I wouldn't be getting too worried about having spicy foods. It's just what are the other ingredients in that curry? Is that a curry that you're making yourself out of fresh ingredients? Or is it something you're getting down your local takeaway that you know ingredients mightn't be as um, nutritious as you'd want depending on where the takeaway is of course um but yeah, yeah just definitely raw foods your fresh fruit your fresh vegetables you know optimize your nutrition optimize your gut health those are key elements cut down on the mucus um forming foods like the dairy and too much meat and basically yeah. Um, get as much right. fresh fresh fruit and veg into it as you can. Yeah, that's right. Because I suppose really nowadays there's people, you know, there's a lot of people that are vegetarian and vegan and things. But now nowadays, you know, with that there there are a huge amount of options available with regards to spicy food. Where you know you can get your spicy food <laughs> kick, but still, you know, there are still a lot of options for vegetarians and vegans nowadays because. I think, you know, shops and supermarkets are stocking a lot more vegan and vegetarian f foods or ingredients that they, that they can make, that people can uh, create their own dishes at home. Yeah, well, it's all about having a balanced diet. And, um, you know, I, I'm not strictly, I'm, I'm very much plant-based, but I do eat a little bit of animal pr protein. Um, it's all about what's going to suit your body. And again, um, I would recommend that people buy organic because it's not sprayed in chemicals and it's grown in nutrient-dense soil. Um, I would be sourcing protein well from, you know, a good butcher's where everything is traceable or, um, you know, sorry about that, Aiden, are a good, you know, our local farmer's markets are good as well. Like there's a brilliant one in Common on a Friday with fantastic fish there as well. So... You know, um, and if you don't recognize ingredients on the back of a package, don't buy it. You know, there's so many additives and 
A numbers and emulsifiers and various things that are added into food these days. So, you know, just eat in a, in a conscious um, way and, uh, you know, source your food well. And again, um, you know, as I said there a few minutes ago, hydrating yourself, like I would say to people, if you're crucified with a hay fever or you, you have it every year, start preparing now. Get the raw honey, get the, your vitamin or deep pearls, your omega-3s, get your vitamin C, um, you know, get your little repertoire uh, of um, supportive supplements there. Start doing things like super smoothies in the morning to get better um, vitamins and minerals into your system to support your immune system. Um, cut down on the teas and coffees and start drinking things like herbal teas, you know, anything like peppermint or your green teas or your ginger or your chamomile. They're brilliant because they work as a natural decongestant and they will help flush out um, the toxins and calm down that the, the hay fever symptoms, the inflammation. And, um, you know, little things like that make a huge difference. And again, it's about just doing it and um, being prepared. And again, hay fever, again, is very much a sign that your immune system is, um, is under par. So you support your immune system by eating a healthy diet and cutting out the foods that we all know what's good for us and what isn't so um reduce the sugars and um the the alcohols and the um the coffees and just optimize your nutrition come and talk to somebody like me at the magic spoon and that you know that's what i do and you can check out the magic spoon.ie as well there's lots of recipe bundles up there there's lots of information on superfoods there's lots of information on you know, where to get stuff as well. People are always wondering, well, where can I get that particular ingredient? I give people shopping lists so they know where they can get the ingredients for recipes. And um, again, you don't, you don't have to struggle with hay fever if you prepare properly. That's it, because I suppose really the key to, to eating as well, so, so you don't get bored with one particular dish is maybe have a different dish every week or maybe once or twice a week, you know, like, because I suppose, you know, some people, they eat the same kind of things every day. And then after a while, then you kind of get sick of that. So maybe something different each day with regards to a dish. I mean, either for lunch or for dinner in mm -hmm. the evenings mm -hmm. or something like that. It's good to kind of have a variety of dishes mm -hmm. like throughout the week, isn't it? Well, that's what I um, that's what I teach people. I give them the recipes, the tools, the shopping list. As I said, you can go up onto the magicspoon.ie. There are lots of um, they're called magic uh, seven magic recipes for lunches, wholesome hearty soups, um, gluten free, dairy free dinners, healthy snacks for kids. Um, you know, there's lots of different varieties of recipes up there and. You know, nothing that I do takes longer than 20, 30 minutes in the kitchen. So, and a lot of the different dishes can be, you know, with his leftovers, they can be reinvented the next day into like a nice, healthy, gluten-free wrap. You know, there's lots of recipes for homemade hummus and pestos. And, you know, it's, uh, the, 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 the information is there. And um, again, I'm doing Zooms with the Magic Spoon at the moment. You can book those on the site as well, magicspoon.ie. And hopefully we're going to be back open at some stage, Aidan. Um, 
looks like it's going to be the summer. What do you think? I, I think so. It's looking like that because I think people are getting sick of all this, uh, you, you know, the lockdown now. And I think it's it's uh, it's not good for people's side, you know, their 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 mental well-being and things like that. And, you know, I think so. I think from, from, a, from a kid's point of view as well now, because, you know, I've, speak, I've spoken to a lot of friends now that have kids and they're doing the homeschooling and, they're working home from home mm-hmm. themselves. And the majority of the people that I've spoken to that have kids, the people themselves are sick of work from home. They, they actually miss the office environment or their working environment, you know, interacting with the, the you know, their, yeah. their colleagues. But also from, from children's point of view as well, like, you know, they're at home, they're getting their work packed, their homework packs, and they're doing them at home. But it's not, it's not the same as interacting with, the kids and I suppose that no, it it's also for adults mm-hmm. but also for kids as well uh you know those uh, those uh, mm-hmm. recipes that you were after saying there they're they're all they're they're all good for kids as well not just adults isn't it yeah and you know this when it comes to kids I don't put in you know the the strong spices or I, I keep things simple um don't overcomplicate things and uh you know our two will will eat like 90% of what I put in front of them um, uh, but uh, you know, it's all about trial and error as well. And you know, kids, their taste buds need to be stimulated. But um, yeah, it's, it's as you were saying there about homeschooling and all of that. Like our our two are back at crash and um, school there in the last week or so, um, for the couple of days, and it's it's just the headspace is incredible. And um, you know, that's really important that you know for kids as well to see their friends at school and to have that um. And for parents as well, working from home, very hard to do when you've little people who are, you know, constantly hungry yeah, that's <laughs> or demanding or, you know, all of that. But the most important thing really is to, um, you know, cut down on things like comfort eating, get out for the walks, like what you're doing, really important for your mental health. Um, you know, doing the exercise as well, because that's going to boost endorphin release and, um and, you know, sitting in front of screens all the time is not healthy either. And there's a lot of, um, there's, there's going to be a huge um, deluge of various different from like from your point of view and um, physical ailments and, you know, from, from my point of view, nutritional issues that people will have had. And, um, you know, in people's mental health, it's very important to eat healthily as well to support your um your mood and again back to vitamin d vitamin d is extremely good at alleviating mild to moderate depression so i would be recommending everybody not just the immune system but for mood as well to be taking the vitamin d and and just make sure it's in oil and again that's why we like the d pearls because they are in the oil and um you know again just um definitely supplement wisely but get the good nutrition into you and if you don't know how to do it, come and see me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And you see, as well as that, like you just touched on it there with regards to, uh, you know, getting out and about. And I suppose that that's the thing with kids mm-hmm. as well. Uh, you know, on a normal mm-hmm. year or whatever, you know, the um, I suppose the season starts for kids and adults around this time of year or at least the preseason mm-hmm. training would have happened. But, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose really since September last year, right up until there's been no there's been no sports locally you know for kids or or adults to do it and uh, 
So, so I mean, for the walking, yeah. but but it's not the same. Like when, when you're used to playing sports, you're used to training with the lads or the girls or whatever. Uh, whether you're depending on whether you're yeah. or a man or a woman mm-hmm. or whatever, or an adult or a child, and um, you know, mm-hmm. you're used to doing the preseason training and then also collective training and also playing matches, and there is none none of that. So. I mean, unless you're the type that's uh, that that's that likes getting out about, and I know like walking is great, but from my, from my point of view now, being involved with Ballinagar Manor, and mm-hmm. of course two or two or three of my friends, you know, we're just just really mm-hmm. missing the whole thing of being involved with the club. You know, there's there's been we've had no match since September, and that's the kind of thing you look forward to it every week, and things like that, and yeah. uh, you know, it kind of affects you because you've nothing. It's kind of really nothing to look forward to. You don't know when it's going to be back, and that's kind of for all sports at local level, isn't it? Yeah. Well, again, you know, you have to just um, compartmentalize things and go. Well, this isn't great, but you know, my my family and myself are well, and um, you know, um, this is the time for maybe a bit of inner reflection as well. You know, get some good books, do a bit of meditation, do some mindfulness, call up some friends you haven't spoken to in a while. you know, plan something for when the lockdown is going to lift, do something to look forward to. That's a really good strategy for people, I find. And, um, you know, power of now, um, no point thinking about the future because the future hasn't happened yet yeah. and the past is gone. So very much just if you're starting to get anxious about, you know, various elements that you might be missing or, you know, worrying about things, just bring it back to the moment and just focus on where you are and that's why I love um, cooking and preparing food because I find it so therapeutic and the amount of people my clients that have said to me you know it's so nice actually just preparing food with my other half with the kids and having that downtime because we won't get this time back again in a way I mean there are lots of negatives to the lockdown but there are some positives as well so um, and it's not going to last forever you know, this can't go on for years and years, Aiden. That's it's, it. It's going to be. And I have to say, know, from, um, from my point of view as well, like the walking has really helped me, I suppose, mentally. Like you're, I'm kind of a, a more relaxed person. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, it's down to, you know, I, I, yeah. I can walk further distances. So before I started doing the walks, the 100 miles in a, mm-hmm. in a month thing, you know, I'd be only going like mm-hmm. a mile or two. And now, you know, a minimum yeah. would be five miles. So, you know, I, I just find, you know, it's a great way of kind of, I suppose, getting things off your chest or kind of clearing the mind, I suppose, um, you know. Yeah, and you know, your, fit, your fitness levels as well. Yeah. You, you must be, you must be super fit now as well if you're doing like, the, are you doing five miles a day? Well, that, that'd be kind of a minimum, yeah. So it's, it's uh, because I suppose really it's the different distances. You know, I started off doing kind of the 100 miles in a month. So like some days I do mm-hmm. five, other days I do eight, seven, you know. So, but I had to get like you know do doing stick- one. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Are you sticking to the same routine, or do you yeah. mix it up a bit, or are you walk- you walking with other people, or are you yeah. walking on your own, or yeah, myself? You and I may go for a walk, you know, like yeah, but we do it like Monday, Tuesday, take a break Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then off Saturday and Sunday. Now at the weekend, I might go for a walk on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, but it's just great to yeah. clear the head and help kind of go through things in my head or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you feel a lot better after it. 
you say when I was training in January thing, it was like walk today off tomorrow, mm-hmm. walk the day after, you know. So it was every second day. But okay. when the thing actually happened, mm-hmm. you know you have to get up the mile. Mm-hmm. So doing it every second day doesn't count. So and that that's kind of where it was good to push me, you, you know. And there was one route we did one day and um you know, I, I was taking several breaks throughout, or throughout, you know, for the first time. And then the next day I did it, I did mm-hmm. it half the mm-hmm. time. So because I was used to it and I suppose by, by the time mm-hmm. we did, we did it the second time, I was a bit more fit. I was a bit fitter, like you said. So, you know, it's, it's a, a high, But you know, you're, you're, you're doing yourself a great service there because you're getting out in the fresh air, you're um, exercising your body, you're doing it with a friend as well. And, you know, the weather is going to start improving soon as well so people can get outside and again back to the hay fever really important to stock up on those supplements now and the little tricks like the vaseline and saline plus machines and even um uh my, my other half suffered suffered some sinuses or we did we sorted it out now but um the salt the salt pipes are good as well and they might be great for you if, if you're if you have any issues with the asthma, but it sounds like you have it, yeah. you have it sorted. But um, definitely just stocking up on a couple of clever things now, and um, that's going to save people a lot of discomfort later. So yeah, so I say from like April, May onwards, we might be back into that good weather, and you know there'll be even more people out walking and getting exercise, and um, hopefully, like you know, things will resume normality. By the summertime, please God. Um, we can't put hope. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, listen, thanks very much for uh, doing the uh, covering hay fever this week, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Pleasure. No problem. Thanks very much. Lovely. Listen, enjoy your walk today, Aidan, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, Bye. Thanks very much, there, Helen. And that was Helen from the Magic Spoon. Hello, Hello. Uh, Tom. Hello, Tommy. How are you doing? And uh, Welcome to this week's J Memories, and yeah, so this week we're talking about uh, we're taking another trip down memory lane, talking about the nineteen ninety All Ireland uh, football senior football final between Cork and Mayo, and of course that was the year that Cork did the double. They won the hurling and the football that year, didn't they? They did, yeah. It was it was indeed it was Cork and Mayo yeah. uh, did on the magnificent double that year, and in fairness, I suppose. We won't see that again in our lifetime, what they done in 1990. Hello? Hello, yeah. Hello, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, uh, well, apart with the exception of Dublin, I think uh, two in rows are hard to do by, well, two in a row is hard to do by any other county, but Dublin is the exception to that at the moment. But, I mean, back then it was, it was a rare thing, wasn't it? It was, yeah. They done the double. They done the double that year. But if you go back, you see meet meet beat cock in eighty seven and meet beat cock in eighty eight and cock came along then and they beat Mayo in eighty nine. So it was all set up for a big final in nineteen ninety. Three weeks prior to that, they were after winning the hurdle. So the Holland, so they came into this final like they were going to do an achievement which hadn't been done for a hundred years and do football and things. So it was a very low scoring final that day. In fairness, I mean a lot of the scores. A lot of scores that day, I think Larry Tompkins, he got four points. Shea Fahey, who was Texaco Football of the Year that day, got four points. Mick McCarthy, Cockler, got two. And Paul McGregor got one. But I think that Cock were leading by a point on the break that day. And I think Colm O'Neill, 
gave McLean's a punch in the jaw that day going into half time. So Cork came out in the second half and they came out and they had only 14 men, but they, they, they looked they looked very focused and, and they kicked on from that. But I think Brian Stafford got most of Meath's scores that day. He got six points and Bernard Flynn got a score and Colin Kyle got a score. But it was a good final in fairness. It was a good final. It was a dirty final, but it was a good final as well, you know? That's it. And of course, another thing that you don't see happening nowadays is the dual player. I mean, there was Teddy McCarthy played in the football final as well as the Hur- the hurling final as well as the football final that year. And you know that used to be quite that used to be quite common actually back then was uh, you know players playing both codes at club and county, which which was lovely to see. You don't see that happening now as much. You don't know, and I think they had a sub that day as well, Dennis Welch. I think Dennis Welch was. Um... Played the horn as well that year, but Cork had a very strong, uh, very strong team that year. When you look at it, like they had John Cairns, they had Tony Nation, like they had Niall Cahalan, Stephen O'Brien, Michael Slocum, Connor Conan, Barry Coffey, Shea Fahey, Danny Colty, Dave Barry, the soccer player, they had Larry Tompkins, they had Teddy McCarthy, they had a, a boy called Paul McGrath, Colm O'Neill, and they also had Mick McCarthy. But I think that year, I think that, um, I think that that year. I think that Cork beat Ross Common that year in the semi final, and I think Meat beat Dublin. I think yeah, it was. That was a, but that, that was a very Cork, a, go, a very good Cork team. Now, Ross Common weren't bad, but on the day in the semi final, in that semi final, Ross Common just didn't have enough on the day, which was, which was a pity. They didn't know it was 17 points to 10 that day, but, but if you look at it that year, like. Ross Common beat Galway that year, I think, in the Connacht final, and Meat beat Dublin. Cork gave Kerry an awful pace in that year, 222 to 111. And Donegal beat, Donegal fell over the line that year to beat Armagh. So, in fairness, both of them along the way, they met good opposition, in fairness, like. That's it. And, uh, you know, it was really. Um... I think all Ireland finals back then too. They they were held for leather affairs. You know there was no quarter ass or given, and uh, I think that that that's what uh, got the crowd excited as well. And but I, I think the the thing about it back then was you know after the matches after an all Ireland final and after all, all matches in Crow Park and indeed all around the country, um you know the fans were allowed onto the pitch. You know that 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 used to be a lovely thing to see, and you know as a fan that you could go out onto the pitch and and. You know, pat the pat the players on the shoulders and we, and say well done and all that. You know that the fact that you can't do it now, I, I think it kind of you can understand why it can't be done now because obviously, you know, it costs so much to um to resurface Crow Park and that, and you know you can't afford to let it, let huge crowds on the pitch because it would ruin it. But uh, I think the fact that they can't do it anymore it kind of takes away takes away from it, uh, it takes away from the occasion. And of course, <laughs> last season there was no there was no crowds at all for the for either All Ireland finals. So I suppose there wasn't. And I, I, another great thing that used to be back there then was swapping jerseys as well. Yeah, there was a great thing between the players that time. They exchanged jerseys after each final, as you said. Look, the fans that come onto the pitch look and it was part of the pastel. And the crowds away outside in the fields while the captains uh, 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 give their speeches. But you'd miss all that. But I look if you look back at it, like the nineties was a great era in the football as well, like with some great players, like with some great teams back there as well. Like, you know, I mean, if you go back like you had Cock winning your Dom winning Donegal, Derry, you had Dublin, you had Meath, you had Kerry, and you had Galway, you know, you you'd all in different counties, like there was no two in a row in the nineties done like so. It was a great era for football in, in fairness. 
That's it. And uh, you know, you know, and they were all, um, you know, when you when you if you won in All Ireland back then, you, it was earned. It wasn't. Uh, there was no such a thing as get well. There's no such a thing as getting an All Ireland top nowadays either. But I think more so, more so back then. And back then, then as well. Like I, I remember that final that day that McLean's was put off. Colm O'Neill gave him a punch. But I remember before that, earlier on, that Mick Lyons was falling all around him. He was belting all around him. Like, and the, the referee just come up and just say, hey, hi, hi. You know, today you can't touch a player. Like, you know, I think the game, I think the game now today is, is, is it's all about running. It's all about tactics. Back then it was about catch and kick. Like, it was about physicality. Like, so I think that's kind of the game, the catch and kick. Like, the, the, you know, I mean, you had a beautiful field in that day. Like, and, you know, but I think, you know, if you look back today and compare today, like, I mean, the cop teams going back then were fantastic, like compared to the teams they have today. They carry teams like, you know, you know, in the same in that era as well, like, you know, a different brand of football and a different style of football as well. That's it. And of course, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the one of the great attributes, one of the great things about Gaelic football or one of the great skills that people love to see, and it's in the hurling as well, there's no doubt about it, is the high feeling. Oh, the high feeling is outstanding, like, and I mean, Look at Shea Fahey that year. He got Texaco Footballer of the Year. I mean, probably Brian Saffer was unlucky that year not to get it as well. You know, he did, he did a fantastic year for me that year. He was the, probably the top scorer in the championship. You know, the likes of Larry, Larry Tompkins there was a superb fielder of the ball as well. Like, and I mean, on that me team, had some great players as well there. Like, you would Martin O'Connor, you would Liam Hayes, you would Jerry McIntyre, all outstanding footballers. You PJ Gillick, you would Brian Stafford, you would Bernard Flynn, you would Colin Coyle, you would all... You had players there that I named out that would get on any team today. That's it. And of course, it was uh, it was a lot more kind of physical back then as well. And it was, uh, you know, it was just, you know, well, obviously, there was a, to a certain extent, there was tactics. But uh, back then, it wasn't as tactical maybe as it is today. I remember Larry Tompkins said after the final, he, he, he said in, 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 in an interview that, the team, the cock team was so focused that day in the second half, they didn't even realise that they were missing the player. They were so focused in on, on football, you know, to go hunt the ball and, and go that they didn't even think that they were a man down, you know. They were totally focused on the game that time, you know. I mean, it was all the, 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 the cock concerned about was going out that time and beating meat, you know. And they went out in the second half that day. And in fairness, I know it was a low-scoring game, like, but it was a, a, it finished up 11-9. But I mean, cock were the better team that day. And Tompkins did say afterwards, Himself, he felt if Cork had the extra man that day, he thought that Cork would have won by a lot more scores as well, you know? That's it. And I suppose really looking at the All-Stars of that year, the All-Star team of that year, I suppose, do you feel that there was any, any you know, did, did it kind of reflect the, the player? Did, did it reflect the, the quality of the performances by players individually? Or do you think that there was players, well, I suppose there's always going to be players that were unlucky to miss out. Well, I suppose really, you know, the only thing I, about the All-Stars, I think it's good to commemorate the players and give them something for their achievement. But the only thing is that you're leaving out an awful lot of players as well. I mean, I thought it was fantastic this year for Raymond Galligan to get a, to get a, a, an All-Star in goals for Cavan. But, I mean, Stephen Cluxton done nothing wrong this year. He didn't concede a goal and that hasn't been done since 1975. And he has no All-Star this year. Yeah, well, that, that's goes to show you, and but it, it's always one of those um, that uh, you know, it's one of those positions that's always very tightly compared, you know, um, always tightly com competitive, 
you know, competed for because, I mean, you know, over the last couple of years, you had obviously Cluxton is in there every year, and then there's uh, Rory Began from Monaghan, then you know the Mayo keeper then as well, and and of course this year now, but but you couldn't say you couldn't argue against um, the the Cavan goalkeeper getting it because he did have a good season, and uh, I mean only, only for his free in the semi in the Ulster semi final they wouldn't have they wouldn't have got to the final. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't have got to the final only for him. And in fairness, if you go through the all the all-star list, Oshin Mullen had a fantastic year this year. Patrick Faulkner from Cavan had another fantastic year. Michael Fitzmaurice Simons from Dublin was outstanding. James McCarthy, James McCarthy, Lord of the Field is on. John Small had another outstanding year. Owen Murchin was a machine this year. Brian Finton, what can we say about him? His record speaks for itself. Thomas Galligan, Niall Scully, Kieran Kilkilly won that all around this year from King Con Callahan. Killing O'Connor, the top the top scorer of all time in the championship. It was great to see Connor Sweeney get a get a get a, an all star this year for Tipperary and Dean Rock, who got the number fifteen position. It was very hard to argue with that. That's it. And uh, so I suppose really um, in the championship overall back in uh, nineteen ninety, uh, you, you know it's uh, it was uh, you know always always very exciting the the championship. It wasn't it like you know the four. The four provinces were were always tightly uh, tightly competed for, weren't they? It was, and I think that year was a special year too because I think we had the soccer World Cup that year as well. That's right. And yeah. I think I, I think they mingled around the dates that year too, and I think they did a bit of a different format, you know. But look, I, I remember that year. I mean, you know, I remember that Ross Common beating Galway that year, and I remember me beat me, me Dublin and Cork the strike carry that year, and Donegal beat beat beat. Ah, man, look, and if you look at it afterwards, Donegal came out and they won in All-Ireland. Cock won in All-Ireland. I mean, me, 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 also the good record in the All-Ireland as well. And Dublin came out and won in All-Ireland as well. You know? So, I mean, that era, like, there was teams there. There was four or five teams every year. They were fighting for places and they were fighting, trying to trying to win the All-Ireland. Like, and as I said to you, if you go back and look at 1990, like, there was no team done two in a row. So, there must have been something good about the football ball back there then as well, you know? That's it, and uh, it goes back to like what I was saying there at the start. You know, always the championship. There was always something different. That di- element of difference between the league, between the league and the. You know, it was always the championship was all always a, a very high. Uh, was always a higher standard, and you know, I suppose the pace of it was a lot quicker and a lot faster, and. You know, you you had time on the ball. It was it was in many ways a lot more physical than the league and. It was, and there, there was no knockout. There was no knockout system, then, and I thought it was a better system. I think you know. I know today that the players are training this and that, and you know, it can be say a bit unfair to lose one game in your out. But back there, then, if you lose your route, and that was it, you know. But that that added the bite to it. I mean, uh, that that's, it did, what, yeah. uh, that's what attracts crowds because it, it's do or die. If you you know what I mean. The, the players knew they had to perform, and if they didn't, they were going to be they were going to be twiddling their thumbs for the next for, for the next year until until the national league the following year. You know, so it was either it was either kind of do what they could throughout the championship, or imagine like if you lose in the first round of the championship, you're gone for another year, and that that was the kind of thing you know for the likes of. I suppose Leitrim and you know all the teams like that. Oh, yes, of course. The weak counties were suffering the whole time, and I, I remember when I was young for the growing up, like I used to dread meeting cop the whole time because I always knew if we lost the cop, there'd be no All Ireland series. You know, cop were always our bogey team, and I always said it about cop. I said 
this cock team down through the years in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, if the back door was there, they would have won a lot more All-Irelands. I mean, in fairness, like, cock, cock, cock competed in a lot of All-Ireland finals. It's like, I think cock, cock lost 16 All-Ireland finals. They won seven. Meat won seven finals. They lost nine. So, I mean, cock, like, cock, that's a huge rush for cock, right, to, to lose 16 finals, like, you know, need to win seven, like, you know. It's not a great return, really, in fairness, you know, for, for the big pick that they have, you know. Well, that's it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was great. And, I mean, you, you know, it always, uh, it, it always produced such brilliant players. I mean, you know, in, in 1991, you know, there was always a player that stood out. I mean, in 91, Derek Dublin stood out for his consistent performances. And, I mean, you know, I think the one thing he'll always be remembered well, too, if you were to say it, would be one, that huge free kick he took against Mayo in the first game. And also he did, and even would be the would be the cracking goal he scored in Crow Park again. He did. He got he he got one eight. He got one eight in one of the games. They got eight points and eight points on the game. He was a cracking player. Like I mean, if you look at Ross Common back then, they did did a fantastic team. And I'll tell you something: they were they were a bit unlucky that year, not not to have won Sam McGuire. If you really look back at it, and I suppose really, if if you look back at that team, that Cork team, and indeed the Mead teams, you know of that era. There was there, there was a few there was more all Irelands in them because they had the quality and I mean not not just the quality but the the length of time they had that quality and they always had the players coming through from minor and I think that's the thing you miss about um, the all Irelands and and the championship in general back then was you know I you'd always look forward to watching the minor games on the telly beforehand you know and it all oh you would because you'd always you. Because always a couple of players would stand out. They'd always be household, na- household names as well, you know. And, you know, in fairness, to, you know, I mean, there were great minor teams going back there and, and there were some great some great senior teams. Like, the game has changed in the last 10 years. Look, it's got more cynical. Look, it's we've different rules. Look, and the ball has been held up a lot more, you know. It seems to be too much passing, too much hand passing. There's very, there's very little kick pass. There's very little catch and kick. As we say, go back to the 90s, it was more physical. You get a bit of a fist, you move away, you get a kick you, if you're in someone's way, you catch the ball, you turn around, you bang into someone. You bang into someone today, bang, straight away, you're put off. That's it, you know, it's, it's uh, well, it's nearly like players say, and they're ad- they've added the mark in as well. Um, and That's right, yeah, that's right. But I suppose you had to look at them too that some teams really started black out out in the field too and the game got too too dirty you know so I mean I suppose really in hindsight they had to bring in some soccer rule to stop it but I mean some black cab offences are like the VAR on soccer you know I think it's you can disagree with the whole time you know That's it and I think uh, you know there was also that you know the international rules element uh, you know the, oh, the county players yeah, that that you know they, they'd be playing they'd be training and all that playing it and next thing you you know they're back playing Gaelic and then you know there'll be elements of the, the international rules in their game you know because they'll be you know the, 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 it's a lot more like you know Gaelic football at the best of times is a real physical game but then when you add in the international rules element to it it's it's even like it's doggy dog isn't it really Oh, it is, yeah. And in France, hey, in France, you had some tough players back then. I'm not saying that we still have some tough players there in each county as well. Like, but you had a lot more, you had a lot more blackguards and scuts on the team that time. You know, you had a lot more fellas that were able to take care of themselves, and they could take it and they could give it as well. You know, and you with some great players from each county there on the rules down through the years as well. 
But I suppose really that time, you know, when you see the Australian rules come over and they kill each other and crop back and then they come back to Australia and they kill each other, you know. I mean, look, it was all for the pride of the jersey, in fairness. That's it. And you, you could say that's, uh, you, you know, the quality of Cork that year, you know, even though Mead were kind of unlucky in 1990 as well, they, they were a good side also. But, but you'd oh. have to say that Cork, deserve, Cork deserved their All-Ireland that year because they were just so consistent. They were so consistent, like, and they came off the back of winning in 1989. But I remember that Liam Hayes and, and Mick O'Dwyer said about the 1989 final, they said it was a Mickey Mouse game against Mayo. There wasn't really that much physical. Yeah. There wasn't really that much To be fair, uh, yeah, Cork had total control of that, didn't they, really? They did, yeah, and you know, I think, I think that, I think that year, I think, I think Billy Morgan said himself. He said, "I gave him a gun without any ammunition. I just told him just go in and play football." And I think the physical side wasn't really there that time, you know, with him. Comparing to prior to that in '88 and '87, like when when they met me, they killed each other, you know. That's it. There was that element of steel, but it was, uh, you know, it was. Uh, <laughs> I suppose it was it was done. In a fair, honest and fair, but it was still kind of physical at the same time, you know. So there was. It was like I mean, me, me, me were in the final that year, like, and they, they didn't win a final then after it was like ninety six, like. So it was a bit of a gap there as well, like, and Cop didn't win one for years after, you know. That's it, and of course, you you know, I suppose the likes of Graham McGarrity that was on that tape that was senior in ninety six, they would have been still coming through the underage system in me, or the club. Oh, they would have been, yeah. And I mean, I mean, me. If you look at that team that day, like they had Robbie O'Malley, they had Mick Lyons, Terry Ferguson, Brendan Riley, Kevin Foley. They had Castles there, Martin O'Connell, Liam Hayes, Jerry, Jerry McIntyre, Beggy. They had PJ Gillick, Colin Brady, Colin O'Rourke, Brian Stafford, Bernard Flynn, and Colin Coyle. So they had a, they had a good side there. They had a very good side there, you know. The players with lots of experience there and all Ireland medals under their belt as well there. That's it. Well, listen, thanks very much for uh, discussing the um, the 1990 All-Ireland Football Final. And uh, as I said, that, that's when uh, Cork did, uh, they, did the double, they won the hurling and the football um, that year. So thanks very much, Tommy, and we look forward to no talking problem, to you again. Next no problem. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. And that was Tommy Dowling, our GA analyst. Right.
Doug, hi, how you doing? And hello, everyone, and you're welcome to this uh, another 442 Sports Sports uh, Management podcast. And uh, this week we're talking to uh, to Kai Store, his goalkeeper with uh, Swindon Town. Hello, Kai, how are you? Hello, Aidan. Nice to finally hear from you. Nice to nice to hear from you as well. Um, that's it. And uh, yeah, so you you recently signed for uh, signed with four four two sports management. So we we'd be talking about that in a bit. But uh, first of all, I suppose how did you how did you get into soccer and what made you choose to be choose to be a goalkeeper as opposed to an outfield player? Well, um, well, I started my football career when I was probably about five years old for my local club Salisbury and um, if I'm completely honest um, the only reason I started playing goalkeeper is because I was I couldn't do outfield at all um, yeah. so uh, yeah my, my coaches put me in goal when I was five and then since then I've just I've loved it diving around in the mud you know I've I just enjoyed it that's it it's kind of the same as myself I was always a goalkeeper as well and it's a it's a very enjoyable position, but to say you have to be you have to be crazy to be a keeper. But uh, I think it's not so much that you have to be crazy, but you you just think in a different way, don't you, to to outfield players? Yeah, that that's something I love about goalkeeping. It's unique. It's different. You you stand out from everyone else. That's it. Because I mean, I mean, I suppose really there's a leadership to, uh, quality to it too, because you have to. You know, you have to make sure people are in the right place and all that. You have to t- tell players where to be and all that. And uh, whether when you're coming out or if you're staying, in, if you're staying on the line or whatever, you know, or if you're coming out for the ball, you have to kind of, as I say, you you own the you own the box, don't you really? And uh, once that ball comes in, it's you, you're the you're the you're the king of the the box, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even even if you haven't got the the captain's armband on, everyone still looks at you as a, a leader, and that's something I've loved about being a goalkeeper. Is everyone looks for you for like to stand up, and that's something that I love doing is stepping up, leading the team, and you know helping everyone out. That's it, because I suppose you you see on many teams uh, around Europe and that at a professional level, uh, there are a lot of goalkeepers that are captains and. Uh, I suppose that's born from the fact that you have to have that leadership quality in goal as well. So it, it goes to show you how, how important and uh, how highly coaches think of goalkeepers uh, to give them the captain's armband because there's others that would prefer an outfield player to be a captain. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's, 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 it's natural for a goalkeeper to be a leader. So in some ways, it's it's just easy to give a goalkeeper the captain's armband because they're just so, so natural being a leader. That's it. And I suppose really looking at it from uh, from the, the clubs that you played for, can you take us through all the all the clubs that you've played for? Uh, well, so I started my career at Salisbury. So that, I was about five years old. And then I played with them all the way till about... 12 I was 12 and then in that time I had trials for different clubs such as Reading um Chelsea at, at one time as well and they didn't quite go to plan but they they led on to other things such as a trial at which the club I'm now at Swindon so I had a trial for them when I was 12 years old and yeah I've been playing at Swindon ever since and I've 
in that time, I did have I did have one trial at Chelsea when I was about fourteen. Um, that didn't quite go to plan, but ever since then, I've learned and carried on, and yeah, really enjoyed my football. But that that's a testament to you as a keeper, as in like that that you were good enough to get uh, to get tries with clubs like that because it's not everyone that uh, that if they'd invite for a trial never mind uh, picked for their academy so I suppose even though it didn't work out for you it must have been satisfi- satisfying to think that uh, Chelsea Chelsea thought you were good enough for uh, to you know have a look at you and give you a trial Oh yeah absolutely I mean it's amazing to know that clubs like that are looking at you and it's it's at that time that I realised no matter who you're playing, someone's always watching. That's it. And, uh, you, you know, like, you could be playing any game, even even with, uh, you know, Swindon Town. I'm, I know, obviously, <laughs> you know, due to COVID, there's no crowds in the, yeah, yeah. you know, in the stadiums for ages. But uh, we say maybe prior to that and in the future, you know, there could be, there could be scouts from other clubs that... Uh, you know that they they could be keeping an eye on you, and maybe at some time in the future they might say this guy could do a job for us, and that they, they might offer you, you know, even a loan or a you know a transfer or something if they felt that you were good enough. Because I suppose that that's the thing about scouting for, for players; they don't just uh, make an immediate decision; they just kind of keep an eye on them over time, and then they they spot something like, oh, you know, this guy has improved in this area or that area. I think. Now will be the time to bring them in, and uh, especially at such a, a at such a young age. And I think that that's key for any position for any player is getting them at you know in your case you started at five years of age, and that that's the the best time to start off because that's where you're kind of more adaptable and you're more open to opening to learning things and where you pick things up easier. Yeah, definitely. Um, starting starting young definitely helps because you you learn so many things throughout your life. As a as a goalkeeper and a player, um, so yeah, it's like gaining the fundament the fundamentals and the basics from like five to like ten years old. That helps you because then when you go into academy setup such as Swindon, you you you're you're already under, understand like what you need to do, what's required of you as a goalkeeper. But then when you play through academy football for well, I started at twelve and I'm now eighteen, so about six six years now. So you you start to learn um, the qualities needed of a high level elite goalkeeper, such as distribution, playing at the back, like setting up counter attacks. Like the, the levels from local team to academy football is just so much different. That's it, because the sports really yes. Uh... You, you you know with, with the you know at that level you have to be there are so many things you have to be good under a high ball you have to be good at diving you have to be you know your distribution your kickouts everything has to be to be bang on to be playing at that level because I suppose especially when there's fans there there there's a lot of uh, expected of a goalkeeper at that level and if you make a mistake if you make a mistake then you know you you could be dropped I suppose that there's more kind of there's more responsibility at that level or underage level but I suppose where you're at now is is it are you playing for the under-18s or the reserves or the, are you like involved in the first team squad or whereabouts are you with your progress at the club? Um, I'm currently I'm playing with the under-18s now and I'm 
coming towards the end of my second year of my scholarship. So that's when I'll be looking to towards progressing my career. So like either going to a new club, staying at Swindon. Um, but yeah, my ultimate ideal plan is to either start playing under 23s football, whether that's for Swindon or another uh, club or try and move to a non-league club and start playing first-team men's football to start really gaining that experience of playing under high-pressure situations. That's it. And that, that, that's really where you learn where you learn as well, because even even if you're involved in the first team, and that, that's great, but uh, you only really learn when you're, when you're actually playing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's good going, playing in the first team and going to a non-league club and playing on the bench, but you only really gain that experience actually being out there in the pitch and experiencing it all. And uh, what would you say, what can you tell us maybe about, um, you know, the players you've played with up along and the coaches that have coached you at the various clubs and including um, including the coaches and players at Swindon? Um, you know, what have you learned from the coaches? I suppose that they would have been a huge, uh, a huge influence on you. And of course, you know, some of the players that you would have played with, including Swindon. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, throughout my years, in terms of coaches, I've had quite a few uh, like one-to-one goalkeeper coaches away from team training. So I don't know if you've heard, but I used to play with, I used to train with um, Paul Jones, the ex-Wales international goalkeeper. Yeah, um, keeper he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. So I used to have quite a lot of sessions with him and he really helped understand like the role of a goalkeeper like techniques and handling, diving, positioning, all sorts of things like that. He's He definitely had me along the way. So I was probably with him when I was about 13, 14, 15. And then until I got my scholarship offer at Swindon, that's when I moved in and started getting proper goalkeeper training with the club. And then when I started with my scholarship, I... I got coached by um, Phil Smith, um, yeah. an ex-professional foot goalkeeper for like clubs like Portsmouth, Swindon. Um, so he was quite a big character and person to be around, like because obviously he played the game. He he knew the mentality of a goalkeeper, and as you said earlier, you've got to be different. You've got to be crazy, and Phil Smith definitely was that. Um, so it's def- it was really good to learn off of someone like that. And um, sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah, and uh, I suppose really, you know, the way some some goalkeepers are kind of, you know, they like staying on their line, they like kind of staying on their line and only come out if necessary. And then there's other there's other goalkeepers, and they love being like a fly goalkeeper. Uh, where would you be, kind of one or other, or somewhere in between? Well, if I'm honest, um. I'd probably say ever since I was about 13 or 14, I've absolutely loved watching Manuel Neuer play and seeing clips of him and his highlights of being off the line. And ever since then, I've, I've absolutely loved just like standing really half the line. So like if, if our team was in the opposition box, I'd be just behind the halfway line, like as if playing as a defender, like hoping the board come over so I could do something with it. And like yeah. help the team attack. So I wouldn't just pass the ball out and hope they can get out of the pitch. If the ball was passed back to me, I would 
try and drive forward with it, you know, run forward a little bit, maybe play a long ball over the top. I really like to like get involved with the game if you if you know what I mean. That's it. And I suppose um you know, since since you took up goalkeeping at five years of age and right through the years up until now, the game has changed a lot, but also the goalkeeper the goalkeeping role has uh, changed a lot in, in many ways. What are your thoughts on that and how, how have you in what ways do you feel that uh, goalkeeping has changed? Yeah, definitely. I think since well, when I was at my local club for Salisbury, it was I was just a goalkeeper. But then when I got picked up into academy football for Swindon, that's when I really, really learned that goalkeepers are much more involved. So like using your feet, being able to play out, and be be more like aggressive as a goalkeeper. So coming off your line for balls over the top. And for me personally, I've I've absolutely loved it. I, I couldn't imagine going and playing football like 20, 30 years ago where the, all the goalkeeper did was just stay on their line and make saves. Yeah. Just so for me personally, I just love getting involved with the game and doing that extra bit. Because people might realise the more than outfield, it is uh, quite a a more t- uh, quite a technical position, and I suppose you know there there is a different a difference in goalies. Like you know, some some goalkeepers are vocal, very vocal, and always talking to the defenders. And then there's other players that are quiet, and they don't. Or other goalkeepers that are quiet, and kind of only say something when when needs be. What sort what sort of uh, which category would you fall into? Do you reckon? Um, if I'm honest, um. I get told quite a lot of times I'm quite annoying to play with because I just don't stop talking. Some, sometimes I just say some useless stuff, but I, I just constantly shout in, like barking orders at defenders and midfielders. Like, even if it's like just useless information, so I'll just keep talking because not only does the information help the team be organised and I'm coaching them throughout the game, but it keeps me involved. So like if our team's constantly attacking, I'll... I could like I could switch off and not be ready if I'm needed. So staying talking just keeps me involved and concentrated through the game. That's it, because as a goalkeeper, you, you see you're you're in a better position to see everything that's going on. Whereas an outfield player is going forward, maybe coming back, uh, keeping an eye on different situations. So they might kind of lose sight of the the player they're marking. So that's where the goalkeeper comes in to be able to say, you know, listen, you need to mark your man or whatever. And But also, like, you know, if, if there's a team, if you're playing in a team that where the coach emphasises, you know, the offside trap, it's kind of, you know, the player, you need to have the players aware of when to when to be back and when to stay forward, you know, to, to put the other team offside. Yeah. You know, yeah. Team. So, oh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> there's a lot into it. People, that, as you just said there, you know, there's people that think, oh, yeah, it's just about making saves and all that. But it's also you have to have a, have acuteness about you and, and an awareness in, in, in a wide range of situations. And also, like you said, the goalkeeper spot, it's, it is a kind of a lonely kind of uh, position because, you might you, you know, if, you're, if you have a very good defence in front of you and a very good team, then, you know, things could be quiet for, for kind of long periods throughout the, throughout the game. But you still have to you still have to uh, be alert and uh, you know because as I say anything anything can happen and things can happen so quick in a game that you know you think things are going quiet and next thing before you know it the ball is 
near you and there's a striker coming up with the ball and you know you have to you have to yeah. be able to put down your angles and and everything as well these are little things that maybe people wouldn't think of yeah i mean that there's nothing more satisfying than your team's attacking dominating the whole game and then the 85th minute they get a counter attack and you're you know you spring into action and you make that 1v1 save that that keeps you that clean sheet i mean as a goalkeeper there's nothing more satisfying than that and I suppose you're, you're how are things going uh, currently at uh, at Swindon Town? Because uh, I know you know this season and last season would have been tough for players and coaches and clubs in general. With uh, you know fixtures, are they going ahead? And sometimes they're not, and different things. And even preparing for games. What, how have you found that personally and collect, personally for you as a goalkeeper, but also collectively? with you and the player and your teammates? How have you found that uh, preparation and match-wise? Well, well, for me personally, it's been, it's been, it's been pretty tough because, um, first of all, we, I don't know if you know what digs are where you, you go live and stay with a host family during the week. Um, so last year, my first year, I was staying with them Monday till Friday, you know, quick like a five minute journey down to training. But now we've, we've, with COVID, we're not allowed to do that. So Monday to Friday, I've been having to drive up and down to and from Swindon, which is about an hour and a half drive. So that probably, that takes a lot out of me. Um, driving definitely makes you tired, but at the end of the day, cause it's, you know, your second year of your scholarship, you're willing to do everything to try and make an impression and do as well as you can. So in terms of that, that's, that's probably been the hardest thing for me, but you know, just coming off of out of lockdown and going back into training, I think everyone, the team, the coaches, were just so like full of energy and ready to get going again. I I think all the changes of COVID didn't really have that much of an impact because everyone just yeah. really wanted to get playing football. So I think the the, the COVID definitely brought a lot of changes, but I think everyone dealt with it quite well and it didn't take anything away from the enjoyment of playing football. That's it, because I suppose the one thing, the one big thing that, that players would find very strange is the fact that there's no, um, there's no uh, crowds or supporters allowed in, in the, in the grounds for games. And, uh, you know, that, that can, we, we've seen it like at the premier, at premier league level and even international level as well. You know the the farm. There's just something that little that's something that the the crowd gives the players, um that that picks it that that has them to pick up their performance. And uh, don't get me wrong, the players will will always want to play well and that. But uh, there's just that's something. There's just that something extra special that uh, the crowd gives. I suppose it's the atmosphere that lifts uh, that lifts the players uh, during a game. And that that was missing. We say towards last year, towards the end of last season, and. Uh, all, all of this season, really, and it, it's hopefully it'll be it'll be a situation where players are where the the crowds will be soon allowed to go back to uh, come back go back to uh, grounds for for matches. And I suppose for you as well um, as a player, do you ever get to go to any of the first team matches to watch the first team playing? Yeah, um, I definitely think the um, without crowds has definitely had an impact on football. So for a lot of ways, I think it, it, the crowd helps feel that adrenaline and energy that a player needs on big games, especially like derby matches, like 
that the, those fans that they just fuel the like all the energy a player needs um, to go and do well. But I think in some respects it it could have helped some players, like maybe new younger players coming in, not playing in front of a crowd, like getting <laughs> stick, you know, from away yeah. fans. That that possibly could have helped like younger players settle into first team um, environments, but. Also, it like it doesn't give the excitement of that match they need, you know, like scoring the winning goal in the ninth minute. That it's like no crowd noises, no one cheering you on. It, yeah, I I don't think that's probably had the best effect in football. But um, yeah, I used to last year I used to go watch quite a few first team matches for Swindon. Um, but this year, obviously, I haven't been able to go and see any at all. So yeah, it's definitely been definitely been a shame. And I suppose really for you as a goalkeeper as well, when you when you go to watch them playing, you, you really focus. You probably learn a lot from the first team goalkeeper just watching how how the, how he is during the game, and uh, you know you probably learn from different situations when you're looking at the keeper throughout ninety minutes. Like maybe maybe parts of his game that that he has in his game, and you say, well, gee, I could do in certain situations when I'm playing in goal for doing. Um, do you find that as well that you're kind of analy- uh, when you're when you're watching other keepers and yeah, definitely. I remember certainly remember last year going to watch some first team games for Swindon. They had a um a goalkeeper on loan from Swansea called um Stephen Bender. Yeah, and he was quite a young goalkeeper, like going on loan for first team experience, but. He was such an integral part of the team to get them promotion from League Two to League One, and I remember watching some of his games and his presence in in the goal was just like amazing. Balls coming in, he'd come out, claim a cross, and for the rest of the game, no one would put a cross back in because he he just had that presence and ultimately affected the opposition's play style because they they didn't want to put the ball in the box knowing that. He, he would come for it. So for me, that's definitely something I've tried to implement in my game is just having that presence and change the the way the opposition play. So if if they've got a free kick out wide and they're looking to put it in the box, just have that really aggressive starting position and make them think twice about where they're going to put it. And I suppose really um, at the start of the programme or at the start of the podcast there, we were saying about... Uh, you know, you recently signed for 442 Sports Management. And uh, I suppose, like, as, as I always say, I, I do uh, regular podcasts with Joe as well, the CEO of 442 Sports Management, and also some of the players and coaches and things like that. But I suppose you're... Uh, what do you think of, of Joe and how, how, um, how have you been welcomed and maybe... You know, have you gotten to speak to any of the other clients, be it over the phone or kind of on social media, to find out what they're like? What's your, what has your experience been, been with so far, and uh, what have you learned for them, or how, how have you found, how have you found for for two sports management? Well, I think I the first the first thing that struck me was how welcome how welcoming they they are and how how they like really like boast about their their players and their signings because I remember we I signed on with them and I think the next day they put up a post uh, about me and yeah. like really like boosting me on like like encouraging me like just highlighting how 
about me me as a goalkeeper and the amount of comments and feedback that post received was really it was really amazing and it really made me feel like welcome and as part a part of their team. So yeah, Joe, Joe and the team definitely made me feel quite quite welcome. So I suppose really your your future ambitions will be to stay in in goals, playing playing at a professional level or semi professional level, uh, you know, as as an occupation and staying. In- How do you- going forward that you know in the future that four four two sports management can help you uh, sporting ambitions. Yeah, definitely. Speaking with them so far, they've they've really given me like confidence that I need to carry on my footballing career and get where I need to be, whether that's 23's football for a Premier Championship, League One, League Two club, or hopefully even first team men's football for a, a non-league club, just getting me that experience and playing. And I think they've definitely given me the confidence in myself and in them that they can help me get there where I need to be. And I'm just, you know, so excited for the future to see what can happen and where it takes me. No problem. Well, listen, thanks very much, Kai, for taking the time out to do the podcast. And uh, you maybe do kind of regular podcasts, which you said, so you can let us know how things are going. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I mean, thank you for having me on here. It's been it's been a pleasure talking um, about my career in goalkeeping. Yeah. Definitely love to do future podcasts, so thank you. Much, and uh, that was uh, Kai Store, who's uh, he plays for Swindon Town, and he's a recent signing for Four Four Two Sports Management Group. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? When you were eight and you had bad traits, you go to school and learn the golden rule. So why are you acting like a bloody fool? If you get hot, then you must get cool. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? You chuck it on that one, you chuck it on this one, you chuck it on your mother and you chuck it on your father, you chuck it on your brother and you chuck it on your sister, you chuck it on that one and you chuck it on me. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? And you're very welcome to this week's League of Ireland analysis. And with me, as always, is Luke McQuillan. And we're going to be looking through all the results and fixtures from the League of Ireland and also news from the League of Ireland and the international team. So, hello, Luke. How are you? How are things? Not too bad now. Not too bad. Yeah. Uh, another, uh, the League of Ireland is prog- progressing nicely. And uh, wouldn't it be nice now if, uh, with all the new restrictions being uh, gradually lifted, you know, the day that will come when uh, when crowds can resume and attend League of Ireland matches? Uh, look, it'd be great, you know. Um, I think it's it's good now to see across the world that other places are, are, are letting fans in. You know, I've seen the UFC at the weekend now from July will be letting 100% capacity in. So there'll be about 20,000 fans of that and then 
I think it's next week as well. They have a fight, and then that's going to hold. Uh, I think it's ten thousand. So look, it's great to see these things, and I think as well next weekend with the in England as well. Uh, there's fans coming back in for the League Cup the League Cup final in uh, in Wembley with Spurs and City. So uh, look, it's good to see that these things are open. And look, I think uh, I see I was reading different things in the news about uh, doing like trials uh, trial dates for um, having a small capacity of fans in at matches um, over the next before the summer. Uh, so look, that's positive. But look, I, I, it's uh, it's only talks at the moment. So look, hopefully something might progress over the next few weeks, and uh, hopefully we will get a bit more news on that. But look, it's great to see uh, these places letting fans in, and it's good to see the, the world coming back to a bit of normality. You know, that's it. And of course, uh, you know, as you said, it's only talks, but at least it's progress anyway towards towards us. But uh, I suppose, yeah. So there's been uh, some some very entertaining games over the weekend, both in the Premier Division and in the First Division. Yeah, in the Premier Division, it's been a it was another great weekend. Um, as always, quite entertaining. As we as as we sort of have I've picked up over the first like seeing the first four games, and, and you see like every team is is you know it's uh, it won't be an easy game at all for anyone this season. Um, it's looking a really really good competitive season, uh, competitive league as well. So that's a great thing. But Pat's had a really really good win against a struggling Derry, really really struggling Derry, who also picked up a two 0 loss uh, last uh, on Tuesday night against Shamrock Rovers. Um, you know they've not had a good start um, at all to the season. They haven't. They've uh, played for what lost for. You know, uh, but you know, it, it, it doesn't make any game easy. Like Derry, look, you know they've been unlucky, but in in some games as well, in some aspects, getting red cards and all that sort of killed them against parts of the weekend. But look, they they'll want to pick it up now at the weekend. Um, uh, Dundalk had a had a, another you know another loss. You know, very disappointing for them. They've not started the season off quite brightly. Um, at all, so look that they again they'll want to pick it up um at the weekend, um so that's another team sort of, um struggling for a bit of form, but um I'm sure I'm sure like you know all these great teams um will will find their way at, come come uh, over the next few weeks, but um Finn Harps who, who look like you know who's gonna beat them, uh they've had a really really good start to the season and and in the end got a a two nil win. Uh, a two-one win over Waterford on Saturday. Um, it was a really, really good result for them. Um, you know, I thought uh, Waterford done well to go one 0 up, and then Adam Foley, who has just been absolutely fantastic for uh, um, for Finn Harps over the last few weeks, uh, picking up a, a great goal. You know, and then in the last, literally last kick of the game, uh, a thunderous shot by uh, Dave Webster into the top corner to make it two-one. So they've had a really, really good start. Finn Harps, um, a start I don't think they were, uh, themselves or Ollie Horgan was expecting. Uh, Sligo Rovers had a, a good. It was a great game. One all with Shamrock Rovers. Um, Alan Manis had a bit of a moment of madness from the from that mistake he made for the Sligo goal. But you know, Rovers got back. It got Shamrock Rovers got back into the game and uh, got a good point away to Sligo. And then um, I'm delighted with this one. But Drady and I picked up a, a brilliant four 0 win over Longford Town. So absolutely delighted with that. Um, you know, I thought Drady were were class. Um. You know they 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 had a really really good performance. Um, Longford had a few chances in the in, in early stages. You know I think if maybe if they had scored it might have been a different game. But Drada took their chances really well and in the end picking up a four 0 win and a well deserved win. You know I thought they dominated the game for for most. You know Longford not taking away from Longford, but I think they they did do well as I think they they created a few chances as well as I mentioned. You know a few long range efforts. Um, young Dylan Grimes for for Longford was very impressive, but uh, Drada had a really really good win. and It's great to see. You know. That's it, and I suppose really looking at those games, I suppose first of all, Finn Harps, wow, 
I think, you know, in previous seasons, when you've seen that, you know, in most of the previous seasons, they were lucky to stay in the Premier Division. And now look at them, look at the start they've had. I mean, you, you know, if if uh, if they keep going like that, they could be pushing from Europe, for, for Europe. And uh, like, as you just said there, is there anyone that would be capable, in this in the form they're in at the moment, is there anyone capable of stopping the um, the Finn Harps gravy train? Um, but also, I suppose, looking at that as well is... Um, the players that stood out for you, for you uh, last weekend, and of course, um, you know, uh, the I suppose the standout game, the standout performance, or the standout team uh, of the weekend as well. Um, so standout team of the weekend, but you know, you're probably gonna have to give it to Drada. Um, probably not yeah. being biased. Probably not being biased. You know, I don't want to be as biased, but um, you know, a four 0 win. You know, picking up the. the you know, I think it's been the. I think it's the game that has. You know, I don't think any team has, has scored more than three goals in the game this season in the league, um, so far. So, uh, you know, Drada have had a. You know, a, a really good start. You know, it's really, really good. Um, seven points from a possible of twelve. Like, I, I mean, more than that, obviously. But, you know, they've had a. They've had a really, really good start to the season. Um, it's really, really good to see that. Like, you know, um, great to see. But look, I probably have to give them standout performance. Um. You know, also Finn Harps as well. Really, really good, good win for them. Pats looking really good. Pats look fantastic. Um, so yeah, draw them, draw the Finn Harps. Pats, you know, really, really good stuff from them at the weekend. You know, that's it. And uh, the standout players for you in the in the Premier Division? Yeah, um, Mark Doyle from Draw United. I have. Uh, I thought he was fantastic. Two goals. Um, really, really good performance from him. I've also got James Brown from Draw. Really, really good performance. We started this. Season fantastic, um, you know he's he's picked up some really good performances earlier on, and then I've also got, um, I've also got Robbie Benson in my team as well. Great performance as well from him and um for for, for St Pat's, and then young Dara Burns, you know Shamrock Row, uh, St Pat's, sorry, um, he, uh, I know Dara quite well, um, he scored his first uh, senior goal at the weekend against Derry, um, in, in Pat's two 0 win, um, which was really really good to see. I thought he was absolutely uh. He's a brilliant player, uh, a friend of mine, and uh, it's great to see him do that quite well. And uh, he, he started off really well. And uh, yeah, so, yeah, delighted to see stuff like that. Uh, younger lads getting opportunities and taking them opportunities really well. Uh, he got his first senior goal and he's and he's uh, had a really, really good start to the season as well. That's it. Maybe that's something that we could do every week would be um, a Premier League team of the week and a, and a First Division team of the week. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. You know, as in, like, players. Like you're starting the best, you know, the best starting eleven, as in you know, player, goalkeeper, and defenders and midfielders, that type of thing. It'd be a, it'd be a good thing to do, and the, we could do the same for the uh, the first division. And I suppose that brings us on to the first division, actually. And um, I suppose looking at this, did did Athlone Town manage to uh, keep their uh, their uh, winning their winning uh, mentality and their winning run on on form? Um, you'll be delighted to hear they have, you know, um, a really, really good start for Atlown. Um, 1-0 win away to Cork City, like that itself is an impressive win. No matter what your season, what happens in your season, that's very impressive. I think, look, Atlown have had difficult seasons over the last few years, but I don't think they're going to struggle this year at all. I think they've had a really, really good start. Look, I know it's only three games in or whatever, but they've had a good start. And uh, look, they don't want to build on that, you know. It's about building on these things. But look, it's only a start. Um, but top of the table after four games, uh, after three games, I'm sorry, and that's really, really good stuff for them. I'm delighted to see, you know, um, Atlanta built a really nice squad. Uh, Adrian Carby's done really good stuff, and look, they've started off the season fantastic, and uh, that's really, really good to see, you know. 
that's it. And when you when you look at that at Lone Town and you consider that they're without who has been one of their one of their best players uh, for the first team over the last number of years, Adam Lennon. He's uh, now gone to UCD. Obviously, he's taken up a, I, I presume like a scholarship. I know he's playing for UCD, but he's also studying there, which I think is a prerequisite to playing for them. But uh, you know, he he's a great acquisition for UCD. But uh, I suppose really, when when you're seeing, uh, he he was a great player for at Lone Town, but I suppose. You know, even with his quality, looking at his loan town, they don't seem to be missing him, and that's no disrespect to Aaron because he was a fantastic. He's a fantastic player, but the thing about Adam Lennon, Adam Lennon is, he's still very good. So he's imagine like he's only a young lad now. So imagine, imagine, and he's quality. So imagine what 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 is yet to come from him. Yeah, look, that's exactly it. I think there's a lot, a lot of players like himself in the league and and both leagues. A lot of young talent uh, you've seen over the last few games. And um, Pats, for an example, as I mentioned, Dara Burns, you know, brilliant to see, like, first goal, first senior goal um, in the Premier Division as well. So, fair play to him on that, you know, delighted for him. Um, and, and, and players like, as you mentioned there, Adam Lennon, you know, brilliant players as well. So, look, there's a lot to that in the league. Uh, it's great to see that as well, you know, younger lads getting opportunities and quite a big, big um, advocate for, for younger lads getting opportunities. And it, it's really good to see stuff like that, you know. That's it. And I suppose really when you consider the way things are going, like, you know, back in the old days, you know, the the cream and the cream of the, the crop from the League of Ireland used to go straight away. If you if you're in any ways ta- talented at all, you know, English English clubs would snap you up. And I'm not saying that, that would but that's still not happening. But I mean back in the day if you if you were playing League of Ireland, you could have Liverpool or Man United or all, you know, all these clubs. After you, but I, I suppose really when when you see the way the Premier League is going, Irish players aren't kind of getting that chance over in England at the, at the in the Premier League, as such that that maybe was back in the old days. But I suppose in a way, you know that that's kind of a plus for the League of Ireland because it means that uh, you know these quality players are staying for longer in the League of Ireland and they're continuing to play their trade. So later when they get kind of more, a good level of first team experience. Uh, with a League of Ireland club, you know, first team. That means if ever, uh, whenever a team from England does call, they'll be more experienced. But it's also good, very good for teams in the League of Ireland that these young players are staying for longer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, look, over the, I think big problems about young Irish lads going over to England and, and not getting opportunities and then coming back and looking for a club or whatever. But like, I think that's really good now that, that people, you know, there's quality in the league, there's quality in this league, you know, that, you know, it's worth sticking around for and, and building yourself a name in this league. You see the players who built themselves in this league. Like, you see, like, um, you see, for example, Richie Towell, you've got Daryl Horgan all playing now. Well, both Daryl Horgan was in the Irish setup there only recently. So, look, you know what I mean? These players have built names for themselves from the League of Ireland and now playing in England, you know. Shawnee Maguire as well, another player to mention. So, look, players like that, um, I'm sure a lot of younger lads will, will aim towards that. Um, and doing stuff like that before moving across and making big decisions because look it is a big decision to move across um, and you know younger lads they move across really early um, it's probably proven that they don't really succeed as they want but look you know what I mean when you see teams coming at your at a young age like teams like looking at you calling, calling at your at your door you know um, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity that you, you sort of you, you jump for but like in the end you also have to sort of think about all these different aspects now you've got the youth league of ireland as well underage which is really really good as well um 
and that's building young lads. And look, you know, I mean, they will get their opportunities over in England. And uh, look, I think that's massive. So it, it's really good, like stuff like that as well, you know. That's it, because I suppose really an, another story uh, from from both sides of it, in, in a way, is uh, Mickey Drennan, obviously played League of Ireland and all that, and went over mm. played for Villa. Um, I suppose in, in some ways maybe he, you know, when he went to Villa and that, uh, he probably he had his games and all that, but uh, then you know he came back, he came back up for whatever reason, maybe things didn't work out for him. He moved back, he played for he played for Shamrock Rovers. Then he kind of, you know, he found it, you know, kind of the mental side of it. It was probably, I think he was finding it draining. And then he uh, he went back playing. He was playing uh, hurling then for his local GA club. And then uh, he went back, he went back, he was playing for Evergreen United. So, I mean, when you think, and he was a serious, he's a seriously talented player. So, you, you know, it just goes to show you, even the most talented players don't always make it over. Like, as you were saying, like, the majority of players that go over, we say out of a hundred players, only about fifteen or twenty might make it over there. Yeah, look, it's a big step, you know, it's a massive step. Um it's you know, the quality over there is, is unbelievable with players from different nationalities and different backgrounds and, and all that. But you know, you've got that and then there's you know, they grew up and they just have that quality and, and like if you have the quality, it doesn't always work out. You have to have the attitude as well. Um and you know if you don't have the attitude then like there's no point even trying you know because attitude is so important in in football and and you know you've got all these players who who are coming across waters from different countries and and they're playing against and and they're sort of coming in and they've got the attitude they'll always be picked ahead of you you know sometimes the quality doesn't always be be a be a good thing you know and it's about just that inner drive you have in yourself and and uh, the attitude as well you know. That's it, and I suppose look, looking at other uh, results in Division One in the First Division as well, it's been uh, just like I said there. Athlone have had a, a great win and start so far, but I suppose elsewhere in the uh, in the division, how did things go? Yeah, look, you know, I think uh, uh, there wasn't many goals in, in in any in in many of the games at all. Um, Treaty had a, a one all draw against Cove, and they had that third red card in three games. I, I don't know what's going on there with red cards. Um, I find the madness, you know. I, I have no idea. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Three games in a row and three red cards. It's a, it's a bit worrying for them, you know. <laughs> it's a bit of a mad one. But um, uh, UCD and nil all against Bray. Uh, you know, I thought looking at, I, th- I thought looking at that game, that was going to be the game of the weekend. To be honest, because I was like, you know, there are two teams that will be pushing this season. But you know, Bray have had three games and three draws. Like that's not the start they wanted. Um. So they'll be disappointed about that, but look, they've they've got more opportunities. It's only early on in the season, but Athlone, as we mentioned, um, you know, you've already mentioned how good that that's a result for them. And then Shelburne had a one 0 win against Wexford, um, well, again that didn't create an awful lot, but in the end they they got the one 0 win, so they'll be delighted with that, you know. That's it, and Cavan Healy, Cavan Healy are are uh, usually another good side in this, and uh, of course Cork, Cork, Cork City as well, you know, um. We thought that maybe, well, I suppose it's like you said, it's it's early in the season, but uh, you know, a team like a team like that, we we would have been expecting them to be kind of there thereabouts, even at this stage, you know, at near the top of the table. Yeah, look, that's it, you know, and they've had a poor start now. To be honest, I thought like I was looking at it and I was like, right, that's a good start, you know, the first game of the season, they they got their win against Cove, but like they've been poor ever since that, and um, 
they'll be really disappointed with, with their start now, you know, seventh place after three games. Like, look, three games, but, you know, three games and then it's it's points missed out for them. So they'll be, they'll be disappointed with that. But, you know, they have to get back on it now and they have a game against Sheldon, you know, at home. So that's another tough game. Um, they'll be doing, you know, they, 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 they'll, obviously they'll have the confidence in themselves. It's just about the players. Can they produce or whatever? But, um, you know, they've had a poor start with it, though. Is it, is it tactics? Is it is it tactics or is it just, you know, like where does the problem lie? You know, that they're, uh, you know, that they, they're they're gone down to the first division and now they're, you know, that as you said, they had a good win, you know, at the start. But it's just, you know, what is, what is it that needs to happen for them to, to click? Is it uh, the right players in the right positions? Is it not? Is it not that there isn't the strength and depth in the squad? Is it morale? You know, it's hard to know really with this Cork team. When you consider where they've came from like about 10 or 15 years ago now, the, the way they were 10 or 15 years ago, you'd, you'd, you know, if you were, if you were, say, if you were heard that if someone said to you now 15 years ago that Cork would be, it would have been relegated to the first division, you'd be laughed at, like, you know. So, but I mean, a lot of things to be fair has happened. I mean, Johnny Cawley, great manager and things like that started off we're doing brilliant and next thing one or two players Shawnee Maguire left cut one or two other players left players retire obviously and uh, they just weren't kind of able to I suppose replace or replacing those players seems to be the thing but uh, you know maybe, maybe we thought that maybe this would this would be the chance down in the first division to be able to kind of get themselves together get some get some wins over their belt uh, under their belt doesn't seem to have been clicking for them just yet, even though they had the first win. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to be. You know, they've quite a new squad looking here. You know, I don't know many of the players. Um, you know, you, you've got names like like uh, Dylan McLeod and <clears throat> Mark McNulty and all that, but like it's 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 not it's not a start they wanted. You know, like their team is after being relegated. You want to start well. You want to head straight back up and look. They need to they need to pick it up. You know, it's only tr- I know it's only three games and whatever, but. They will want to pick it up, and it's a, what a way to do against Shelburne, you know. They'll be, they'll be delighted to, if they can get it now with that game. But um, Shelburne, a team in another decent form, you know, a uh, win and two draws. But there's been a lot of draws in the league, you know. I think um, hopefully now it'll be, it'll be more goals um, than last week, you know. Um, it's still going to be another great week, you know. It always is in the first division. It's, it's such an unpredictable division, and it's the same with the Premier Division. It's, it's just you can't predict these things, and it's a uh, you just you wouldn't know about Cork. Um, I'm, I'm sure they're gonna pull it back and look. You know, I mean, I'm sure they won't be be having any any other problems in the next, uh, you know, few games. But look, they they have to start it off and they need to get wins under their belt. And, and the only way of doing that is uh, producing performances. You know, that's it. And uh, you know, it would be nice to see you know the Cork that we we all remember. You know, being able to, you know, beat teams and you know the the real talented players. You know, it'd be nice to see them getting back to that sort. Again, but uh, um, I suppose that it's still early in the season, and they still can do that. They can still there's plenty of time to turn it around. But uh, you know, you with a when you think of Cork City, you think that they'd be that they'd be kind of pushing for the, you know, even this early in the season, they should that they'd be up the table. But as we said in previous podcasts, you know, the first division isn't a, isn't an easy division to get out of, as as a lot of player as a lot of teams have found out, and maybe. Cork are seeing that for themselves. Yeah, look, you know, the first division is not easy to get out of at all. You know, you've got quality there. It, it is quality, you know. Um, it's great watching as well, so I quite enjoy it. But 
um, not easy to get out of them. Look, Cork won't, won't find it easy, you know, and, and they haven't found it easy the first three games. So, um, even the game against Cove that they won, they quite, you know, I thought they were not lucky, but they didn't play great, you know what I mean? Like, they went great. Um, you know, Cove were unlucky not to get out of that game, but um, look, you know, it's uh, it's only it's only early on, so look, we can judge them more as, as it goes on, you know. That's it, and I suppose moving on to uh, moving on to the international scene, the women's uh, the women's team had uh, games recently. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, look, um, the, the two really good performances um, against um, Denmark and Belgium. You know, really really good performances. So, uh, look, you know, it's it wasn't it's only friendlies, but. And they've they've got now the I think the World Cup draw is I think it's soon anyway I think it might be next week or something it's, it's soon enough anyways um so uh, look they've uh, they've got that to look forward to and um they've a nice little squad they've a nice team you know um I'm I'm sure they'll uh, they made a really good qualify they did a really good campaign last time about but um they'll want to build on that from there and uh, and add and add a really really good campaign now over the next uh, for the World Cup you know. That's it, and of course, as we know, Northern Ireland have qualified uh, for the championships as well. So that that's really huge for them, isn't it? But the, the again, that men team is is a very talented side. Yeah, it is. You know, it's quite very talented. But you know, Northern Ireland are at a great. So you know, fair play to them. You know, Kenny Shields, uh, ex Derry City manager, you know, managing them at the moment. So you know, he's done a really good job with them. Uh, so fair play on that. And looked at. You know, Euros is what their type of competitions that um they, they want to be playing in, and 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 even Ireland want to be playing in. So, look, you know, it's a, I say it's a, it's a great moment for them. But yeah, look, the, the women's team is quite, very talented. You know, players like Kate McCabe with Arsenal. You know, that says it all, really. You know, Arsenal's uh, women's team are brilliant, so they are a really good squad. So, uh, look, you know, they they will get their opportunity. A lot of younger, a lot of younger girls as well are in the team. A lot of younger women. So, um, you know, they they want to start. Uh, you know they've got time to progress in that book. Um, really, really good stuff from them. And look, you can only wish them all the best. You know, that's it. Well, listen, thanks very much, Luke, for doing this week's League of Ireland analysis, and we look forward to looking back at next week's uh, next week's fixtures and seeing how the teams got on. And of course, we we'll uh, start that as a new thing as well with the uh, the best starting eleven from the weekend, both in the Premier Division and uh, the First Division as well. Yeah, look, thanks very much. Um, hopefully now we'll have a, another good weekend of League of Ireland football. Thank you. No problem, thanks very much. And that was Luke McQuillan, our League of Ireland. Hello and you're very welcome back. And uh, this is Sport Pulse with myself, Aidan Rafferty. And the show is, as always, kindly sponsored by Heinz Pharmacy here in Roscommon Town. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show. I've really enjoyed doing this week's interviews we hope you enjoy them don't forget that that there are many other there are a lot of good other um programs on ross fm uh every day monday to friday from nine o'clock in the morning right through till seven o'clock in the evening there's ac shows there's um you know there's uh music there's shows that suit all uh, all tastes from jazz rock pop um a chat show or two the, there's the breakfast show so um there's plenty for everyone uh something to suit everyone so why not tune in every every day monday to friday and of course don't forget as well uh before my show uh, before ross sports view on a sunday or on a wednesday there is also the 80s show by ricky dean so there you go if you're if you're into 80s and music and music from years gone by um why not tune into that? So thanks very much for tuning in. 
until next week bye Oh, how you doing? This is Aidan Rafter here from Ross Sports View and myself and Martin bring you the very best in sport every Wednesday from 6 to 7. We kick off the show with Premier League chat, then after that we have In the Lineout with myself and Michael Cook and then we also have the very best in local, national and international sports. You can listen to us in many ways on the radio on FM 94.6 on the website www.rosfm.ie forward slash live or on the TuneIn app. And don't forget if you missed the show, don't worry because the show is also podcasted and available on www.rosfm.ie. So why not tune in to us today? The bad boys of sport. Chuck it on your brother and your chuck.